was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot in a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing Boz Skaggs. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. I wish I was a comedian, a late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. Every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. Every time we love and it feels just like this. Hello, cats and kittens. If you're noticing some things sound different today, it's because I am on the road. I am playing the theme song off my off of my laptop, just held close to the mic on my earbuds. <laughs> Uh, I see you tired Allison observing that the speed is slower than usual. It's because I actually speed it up for the podcast. This is the original tempo, ah, tempo, as they say in music land, I believe. Uh, and for those who ask me, I know I get a lot of questions about who sings this. It's a group called Quarter Water and the song is called I Wish. They are a friend of mine's brother's band. So if you want to help them blow up and give them some likes and clicks on YouTube and all of that, I'm sure he would appreciate it. I know this is an odd day and an odd time for us. I appreciate you dealing with my flexibility with my travel schedule and stuff for the holiday. Um, What's on tap? Obviously, this week on Bad Faith Podcast, I interviewed Professor Samar Al-Balushi about why exactly Biden has decided to put troops back into Somalia. It's something that I've been wondering since we did a segment on this subject with uh, Professor Abulushi on the Hill last week. And sometimes I think to myself, oh, everyone's talking about a thing and I actually don't know very much about a thing beyond that people are mad on Twitter and maybe I should inform myself. And I'm very grateful to have a podcast where I can bring people on and get the direct download from some of the best experts in the field. So I hope you appreciated being brought up to snuff on that particular issue the way I did. Um, there's some other stuff going on in the news. Obviously, it's difficult for anyone to think about or talk about much other than uh, the school shooting uh, at Uvalde in Texas uh, earlier this week. The details that keep coming out are so grim and so chilling, and the misconduct from the police seems to be bottomless. From stories of them not allowing parents to go in and rescue their own children, pinning them down and wrestling them to the ground, all while standing outside of the door inside of which were live children and a shooter. No attempts to break down the door for 40 minutes to an hour. No explanations about why they didn't want to other than that the cops were afraid they might be shot, which is their entire job. I don't mean to belittle that or make light of it, but it's their entire job, obviously, to put themselves in the way of line of fire. People have been making the analogy that it's like a fireman getting to the scene of a fire, a burning building and saying, oh, I don't want to go in because I'll risk getting burned. It's kind of the job. Uh, there's some other news on the student debt front. Biden, uh, it seems, is going to cancel 10000 which is obviously 
malarkey for all the reasons we discussed principally that it's basically just a handout to the financers. Only one third of people will have their student debt wiped out, which, you know, I guess is, is meaningful. I don't want to diminish that. But what it really means for so many people is that we'll pay just a fraction of their interest payments. So for most, the overall majority of borrowers, they're better off with the um, uh, moratorium continuing because $10,000 won't even cover one year's worth of interest. They're able to pay down their debts faster simply delaying payments than canceling a small chunk. And again, he's means testing it. I don't believe any of his programs ever really touched grad school debt. So LOL at me, but for everyone else with undergraduate debt, um, remember that he promised to cancel all HBCU grad debt for those making under $125,000 a year. That was just BS. Um, there were people, you know, Astra Taylor and the Student Debt Collective are out there pounding the pavement, doing their best, trying to get it, I think, at least up to 50000 But, you know, I don't know where you guys are. I'm at a point where it's like, fully tell me why I should ever vote for this person or a Democratic Party. That would be so disrespectful and lie to our faces the way that it has done on this important matter. Okay, those are some topics. Obviously, you know you can talk about anything that's on your mind. So let's just get to this queue. Hey, Tom, long time. How you doing? It's not bad. Can you guys hear me? I can, loud and clear. Oh, nice. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, long time. I figured I'd give you guys a break from my crazy rambling you know, and all <laughs> the wild shit I say on here. <laughs> Never. Destroy we, I any missed you. political career I may ever have if somebody <laughs> finds this. But um, I, I don't know if I really have a question. Maybe it's a little bit more of a meta comment. Sure. Uh, I, I don't know if, you know, afterwards, maybe you can tell me. Is there anything like political or historical that's happened in your lifetime that's like not made you feel old but kind of really shown the passage of time for me it's i've been getting this weird feeling not just with the ovaldi thing because it's you know mass shooting in a school number or whatever mm-hmm. and i have a young child myself so mm-hmm. you know it's like I, I like i have an apple watch and when mm-hmm. i was reading and watching the stuff on ovaldi i literally got a notification that my heart rate was spiking Mm. so i just really haven't been following it's too stressful Mm, but uh i remember when i was enlisted i was in the army some years back way back Mm. deployed like 13 years ago um i remember at that time our older ncos we had a couple of guys who were from the 10th mountain who had actually been in somalia in the early 90s and it was just interesting to me because black hawk down was like such an unintentional piece of like propaganda Mm. and when i was a very stupid impressionable teenager kind of grappling with the fact that i wouldn't be able to afford college my parents wouldn't be able to the army is the thing that i mean the gi bill is really what got me to enlist at the time and you watch the movie and you're like yeah oh my god look look you know these fucking excuse my language no go ahead go for it <laughs> you know like you're impressionable and especially like if you're a new yorker you know you're only a few years removed from september 11th and it really kind of shaped a lot of my more maybe reactionary ideas i had at the time like it, it, it wasn't really anything like conscientiously you know anti-muslim when mm-hmm. i was a teenager but in hindsight and i'm thinking of this because you guys kind of mentioned this in your podcast about the semi kind of racialized view of Muslims as like the other at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I'm rambling, you just tell me to shut up. Sorry. No, please. And so like when I enlisted, I would have never really 
consciously said like Muslims worry me or I find them kind of strange or weird. But in hindsight, there definitely was a sense of they're like the other group, Mm -hmm. you know, they're different. They're weird. Even though I grew up, you know, 15 minutes away from Astoria and areas that had massive Muslim populations, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, and in hindsight, I think movies like Black Hawk Down really unintentionally kind of helped cast this like post 9-11 idea of like the you know the threat of you know islam or whatever. Or intentionally tom i mean yeah. i don't want to sound too conspiratorial but you know david sirota wrote a whole book about uh how the uh, armed forces uses money and like lobbies hollywood to have certain images come out in these films yeah yeah i'd heard something uh from the notorious scholar and intellectual bill burr <laughs> <laughs> talking about how, how basically armed forces like they they have a lot of they do that stuff with uh sports mm-hmm. so you know you mm-hmm. have all this flag waving bullshit you know while people are tossing around balls and stuff like that it doesn't make yeah. any sense to me but yeah. there is something oddly militaristic and tribal about especially football mm-hmm. you know i don't know well, if it's like, that's I, like it's not built into the cake though right i mean I, i'm really fascinated by this this question and this looking at the ways we're propagandized, in part because obviously you want to push back against propaganda that's done for the purposes of imperialism, et cetera, but also because I've been exploring this ish, this this idea of why there seem to be all these clusters of problems in this country, from the feeling of like there's like a disinformation, misinformation panic, and then this First Amendment panic. Those two things kind of go in, t- in, in together, and this question of what's going on with these 18 year old boys and Da, 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 da. And people are like, when I was a kid, we used to talk to each other. We never had loners like this. And people that were that ostracized, which I doubt is fully true. But, you know, there's this sense to me that the thread that's tying everything together is this kind of collective distrust. And when I think of all the propaganda that brings people together around this idea of natu- nationalism or patriotism and how we could be getting a different kind of messaging that helps us see people who might be physically different than us or religiously different than us or sexually different than us as part of our own community it really breaks my heart because the propaganda works. There's going to be something that fills a void and that there's no messaging that's coming from anywhere, whether it's our religious institutions, our governments, anywhere that's really telling us to see each other as part of a shared community. It's, it's kind of devastating to me. And it doesn't feel like anything is, I mean, obviously I want gun reform. I want all the things I, I want mental health support for people. I want all of the things, but it does seem to me that there's something essentially at the core of our American relationship to each other that's become fractured. I don't know. Maybe it's just everyone thinks that in every generation. I mean, there's, there's definitely, I think some truth to that. It, every, I don't know. I don't know anything about Gen X as a generation, but as much as I like to clown boomers, I sometimes I, I think to myself, like, you know, these are the boomers. This is the generation that was like poisoned with lead and gasoline and dealt with the crack epidemic and dealt with like, you know, all these other recessions and stuff like that. And I'm not making any sense. Sorry. No, <laughs> um, no, I mean, it, it's a, I don't know what it's, it's yeah. like where you are, but it's a rainy day in Cleveland and I'm feeling very mellow. I just got back from a run and I'm happy to go down any frolic and detour you want my friends. Well, surprisingly it is sunny here in Seattle. Yeah, I left New York some months back, so uh, I miss it. How are you liking Seattle? A friend of mine was just, I was babysitting that dog last week because my friend was going to Seattle for a job interview. Uh, how are you liking it? Um, 
on its own, it's it's nice. It's a very quaint, nice city. They complain about traffic and stuff like that here, but they don't have real traffic over here. Right. What's coasters? They, everything they complain about, I just roll my eyes as a New Yorker, no offense. I'm like, yeah, okay. it's, <laughs> it's like, it's you know what? The people here are nicer. Mm-hmm. If I had one criticism, I feel like they're much more passive aggressive out here mm. as opposed to, you know, like stereotypical New Yorkers like, Forget Much about it. In your face. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. funny. Yeah, like it's like the Sopranos. Like every time somebody hears me talk, they ask me if I'm from like New York or Jersey, and I'm like, you know, what experience do you have? And it's like, oh, you know, I used to watch the Sopranos. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, whatever. But um, I, last comment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, there's definitely something to the whole like, I don't know if alienation is the right word because I feel this a lot too. Like I have no connection to my job or my career. You know, there's this sense that like. I'm going in and I'm just working to make my boss richer. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not going to say this fucking loser. And also the guy in the Buffalo shooting too. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that's always interesting, because remember like the hysteria was all terrorism before the right, the migrant crisis. Mm-hmm. And there were these people who were like, you know, yes, religious ideology has a huge part to play in this, but there's something at the core. And I don't want to make this a gender sex war kind of thing but it's definitely more of a male phenomenon maybe it's just mm-hmm. because men kind of have a monopoly on aggression and violence but um well we raise yeah. men that way you know i don't think it's innate you know we raise men that way i mean people have been i'm looking right i'm scrolling twitter i'm looking at people posting photos of the you know families around the christmas tree with their guns and i saw an ad for one of the gun companies that they had they propagated with a little kid who's like two or three years old sitting down with an enormous uh, automatic or assault rifle. I'm sorry. I don't know the gun terms. I know gun people are very sensitive to this and I'm going to get better. I apologize. But a big black gun on his lap. And we do this to men and we tell them, buck up, don't cry. You know, we tell them to man up. You know, we cry. look at little boys and they're singing and twirling and free and so sweet. And they want to nuzzle their little heads in the crook of your arm. And we beat that out of them by the time they're like 10. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm entirely guilty of this as myself. Like I my son had an issue with a bully and, you know, his mother being the smart one calls a school. And I'm the jackass over here that's telling my kid, you know, if the teacher doesn't do anything, you need to be ready to hit this other kid. But it, it just got me thinking, like, when I was, I, I've, uh, this will be my last thing, and I'll shut up, and the next person can go. Um, I, I know I've mentioned on the call before, you know, my father's an ex-felon. Mm-hmm. And growing up, I remember my dad was, like, not uh, an affectionate person at all. But one of the few times I remember him ever, like, you know, patting me on the back and kind of saying, like, I'm proud of you, is after some time when me and my idiot meathead friends we started going to the gym a lot mm. and it's like, you know, when I was first getting my muscles, you know, I was hitting puberty and I was getting big and I was playing sports. And as an, now that I have my son of my own, like, it, I don't know that it's hard to explain if, I don't know if we're socialized, but that instinct is definitely there to kind of encourage aggression and physicality in my boy. Cause you know, mm-hmm. not that it's necessarily good, but I don't want him to get bullied or be a victim. You know what I'm saying? That's, yeah, that's I mean, my I last There's a difference between, um, kind of physicality. Because I was thinking this today. I was thinking, am I doing a toxic masculinity? Like, I just got back from my run. I come from a very athletic family. My father was very athletic, coached all the sports. My brother was not into sports, but I was. And I was like a real daddy's girl people pleaser. And 
I value sometimes in my partners a certain level of physicality. I like guys that run. I like guys that I can work out with. And I'm like, am I doing a toxic masculinity by judging men perhaps too harshly who aren't like that? but who are sweet and kind and supportive in the way that sometimes the other guys aren't. Not that they're mutually exclusive categories, obviously. But I've had to, I'm, I'm working on figuring that out myself. But I do think it's separate and apart. I mean, you can, you can value athleticism and the kind of grit and determination that I think doing team sports and things like that gives you. And you can value an ability to defend yourself in a situation because it is a violent world without necessarily inculcating a value that you know, you can't have emotions, like physical, uh, emotional vulnerability and kind of physical vulnerability are two different things, right? Yeah, 100%. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tom. You're always insightful. I appreciate how um, vulnerable and open you are in these conversations. So I've missed you and I'm glad you called. It's only on here. I, you guys are my therapy. I'm sorry. (laughs) To a minimum. Right back at you. Um, I should say before I take Carolina, Carolina, uh, that I think the room, I'm sorry, it started out small because it was on private mode. I don't even know how you do that. So apparently you could only come into the room if you clicked on the link. If you were just in the app, you weren't going to, you weren't seeing the room. I apologize for that. I don't know what I'm, you know, I'm in not my normal setup. So I apologize if I press something. I opened by going through this number of topics that are on my mind. The $10,000 student debt cancellation that's apparently coming down the pike and how inadequate that is. The shooting in Ovalde, um, obviously the episode. So we can talk about that or anything else that's on your mind, just to recap. So Carolina, welcome back. How have you been? What's on your mind this evening? Carolina boy. Oh, Carolina boy. Uh, I'm sorry. I thought you were this other woman, this woman named Carolina. Okay, my bad. Carolina boy. My bad. Okay. <laughs> What's on your mind this evening? Uh, no problem. I, uh, you know, the news cycles recently have just been uh really unfortunate just seeing the things that are going on and i'm mainly focusing on the the violence that's happening in our country as far as i can see you know america is a truly violent uh barbaric country we, we just do not see this type of uh, violence going on in in other places um and so like i'm i'm still reeling from buffalo like i i even yeah. haven't really been able to process the um, the thing in Uvalde, mm-hmm. uh, both of them are, are really terrible, but I, I, I'm, I'm surprised that because even after, even uh, before the Uvalde shooting happened, Buffalo story was basically out of the news, like within less than a week for sure. And mm-hmm. I remember when Charleston happened, um, I think it was in 2015, uh, very similar, you know, white supremacist terrorist attack, murdering, uh, targeting black people and murdering them. And mm-hmm. that I felt like shook us a lot more. And so I, I like hate how we're becoming numb to this and it's getting more normalized because in a lot of ways, this one was, uh, th- this one in a lot of ways was more, uh, horrifying than what happened in Charleston. I mean, you saw what the dude had written on his gun, the fact that he yeah. live streamed it, the yeah. fact that he was scoping out the place, uh, the day before and like, um, you know, trying to like gather intel to like figure out how to do this right and stuff. And so, um, you know, I I watched your radar and like all the the Tucker segments that you did, mm-hmm. um, and and for the most part, like I I really did respect a lot of what you're trying to do. But I'll just say like from my experience speaking to because you know I, I live in in rural Southern America, there's a lot of um, you know in in a really red part of the country, there are a lot of uh, people that you know that, that watch Tucker that are that are hard right wingers um, mm-hmm. and things like that. 
And so my my thing is, I'm just seeing that I feel like too many uh, of the left commentators are trying to speak in ways that will appeal to people that watch Tucker or um, are, are, are fans of, of people like him, stuff like that, to try to sort of deconvert them. And I, I just don't see a lot of ways in how that works. And I, I just see that the, this culture war has really rotted their brains to the point where they basically think Joe Biden is equivalent to Louis Farrakhan. And I just don't see that <laughs> we're going to like appeal to them without turning off black voters that are thinking we're betraying or black people that are thinking we're betraying them with our movement. And I'm seeing like a lot of black people are moving more towards following the likes of like Tariq Nasheed or Umar Johnson, people that are like trying to, you know, the, the almost like the new age sort of black nationalists that are trying to say like, no, we, we want reparations. We're not trusting. And, you know, basically everybody's a white supremacist and those sort of things. So that's, I'm just seeing like, I just don't see a way that we can balance that right now. What do you think? Okay, so this is interesting, and I want to I want to probe you a little bit on some of these. So I, I want to take the second thing first because I think it's shorter. I agree. I agree with you about the direction some black people are heading in, but I don't think that that is incompatible with what I'm trying to do with a segment like that. And again, it's all just a grand experiment, right? So I might ultimately decide I agree with you, and it's not successful. But mm-hmm. my impression is that the root of black people feeling increasingly like they need to do a kind of ADOS uh, black first militancy has to do with the disappointment that the establishment parties, primarily the Democrats have abandoned all of their promises to them. And they want things that are specifically black and a black agenda because they've Mm -hmm. seen the ways that they've been carved out of all of these policies for decades and decades. When I, the appeal that I made, part of the appeal that I made in that Tucker segment was to say, hey, look, black people, Actually, yes, you are the legacy American. I mean, to the extent that we should be thinking of ourselves in these terms of one American group as more American than the other. Like if anybody has a case for it, you do. And so you should be making more demands. You have some legitimate claims here and using that not just to showcase where Tucker Carlson is picking and choosing, not based on so-called legacy status, but by something else. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. The implication being obviously that it must be racial or, or ethnic and all these other kinds of things but also legitimizing the frustrations that various groups in this country, not just black people, but I think especially black people have with our plutocracy. And so I think there is a world where you can recognize people's claims and say like, this is why no one's ever giving you anything, black people, they don't care, they don't respect your vote, you need to withhold your vote and you need to make concrete demands. The same way that a lot of disgruntled people of all races, including poor white people, have been ignored by the political system. Now, with respect to the question of whether or not there's anybody to be convinced by Tucker Carlson, I want to hear what you have to say about this. I don't know. I'm not as close to these communities as it sounds like you are. But if Tucker Carlson's show is the number one news show on in America, it is not the case that all of his viewers are hardcore, whatever you want to call them, right wingers, you know, deplorables, whatever. It just cannot be the case unless you think that, you know, half the country really is that, in which case we all should just pack our bags and and start walking to Canada or whatever you can afford, <laughs> whatever transportation means you can afford, just start hoofing it because <laughs> we're it's over. Um, but if you think that the sheer size of his audience suggests that there is some ideologically uh, ideological diversity, if you look at the fact that he's the most popular show, even with among Democrats under a certain age, right? Mm-hmm. Then it seems to me that there's something going on there. There's an attraction there that's not just not just pure simmering white nationalism. 
And when I looked at the responses that I got to that video, it does seem to me, and I get a lot of this every time I interview with like an Andrew Sullivan or a Glenn Lowry or something, I've been getting a lot of messages from my Charlie Kirk debate with people saying, hey, I respect that you were just willing to come to the table and you presented some things in a way that I never heard before. I'm not saying I'm moving mountains. I'm not saying it's making all the difference in the world. And maybe ultimately the trimming around the edges is not going to be enough to be meaningful politically. But it does feel for me as a commentator so much more productive than getting up on before the camera and saying, I hate white supremacy. God damn these white supremacists. I'm just so mad. Because I'm telling you, I hate white supremacy. God damn these white supremacists. And I just <laughs> am so mad. But I don't feel like that's really the best use of my talents, you know? Uh, yeah, I respect that. Um, I just, I would, I, and like, I, I totally, like, you know, most of your points, I think, are well thought out. Um, my My thing is, I think, there's, I think a lot more could be gained trying to focus on some people that are just less engaged in these culture wars, uh, people that, people that are more apolitical, younger people. And because what, what I see is, it seems to me like the right is just so much focused on hardening and feeding red meat to their base. And it seems like it looks to me like they have. That's why they have so much momentum right now. There, um, that, that's why. Like it, it really feels like there's uh, a lot going on for them right now, and and that Tucker is able to um, encompass that in a lot of ways. And yes, I believe that a lot of like what the left, the, a lot of the preachy ways that the left talks about these issues can turn off a lot of people that think we could win over, but. Um, you know, barring that aside, I, I just, I'm, I, I just, I, I do worry that, you know, we are getting to a point where we're making marginalized communities to seem like we're betraying them because we're we're trying too hard to, um, to appeal to these working class whites that, you know, are, are that that don't even realize they are, uh, they have been abandoned with these class politics that, um, you know, that, that politicians of both parties. Are using, but it's just I'm just and I'm largely speaking anecdotally. From what I see, like a lot of them, they they just don't even care about class politics anymore. It's just mainly the culture war. So well, I, I still respect Car- you doing. No, Carolina, that's interesting because I I get a lot a lot of people. I I make sure to pepper in no matter what I'm saying. Like I've been studying Tucker, and here's what he does. He he uses words like elites. He has a whole vernacular. That's a class vernacular, even though obviously I don't believe his project is in good faith. But he has a vernacular, and I think he uses it, and people like it. He, I mean, he uses it because people like it. And I've noticed that when I pepper some of these words, obviously in good faith, throughout my radars, like even if a radar doesn't have to do with, you know, elites or oligarchs, instead of describing some conservative politicians as right-wingers or conservatives, I describe them as plutocrats. Now, I don't think that's soft-selling anybody. It is right. true. And to me, that's the reason we should really hate them, right? We shouldn't hate them because they're Republican. A Republican party could be a good party if they wanted it to be, but we hate them because it's not a good party because they're bought and paid for the same way the Democratic Party is, right? And we don't, you know, so I I have noticed that people really respond and there are these words that get people to key in because I think that even though they're being led down a primrose path in bad faith by some of these conservative commentators, they, they, I think people are invested. So my, my strategy with the radars is to do one that's a little bit responsive to whatever um, mm-hmm. culture cancel culturally type social issue is going on. Cause I got to say, I get so defensive on the show because of some of the other segments that are chosen by other people that I feel like I have to correct the record sometimes, but then also I'll do one that's just like 
a, an affirmative, not not defensive, because we get too defensive and reactionary. Mm-hmm. It's just an affirmative case for why we should have something good. You know, just a completely yeah. independent research. Like, here's why corrupt people are ruining your life. Here's why the plutocracy is ruining your life. Here's here's mm-hmm. why you know. Look at look at Desantis. Um, you know, fighting against a minimum wage. Yeah, but that's a that's a great example because you know the, the Desantis he's. He, you know, he's love for the culture wars, despite I, I feel like there's no amount of like exposing his corruption, which there is plenty to expose, will ultimately turn off these voters from him as long as he's still posturing the way that he is on these. Yeah, culture I, wars. I don't know. I disagree because I don't see any of that. I hear a bunch of Democrats and people on MSNBC whining about, oh, he's attacking Disney. And I mean, like real stuff. I'm not I don't mean to diminish it, like all the anti-trans stuff and all of that. But if you already feel like the left has gone farther than you are comfortable with or at a pace that you're not able to keep up with with respect to cultural issues, trying to attack somebody for cultural issues is not going to have the same impact. It's like redirecting. you got to redirect and say, hey, okay, whatever you think, I'm not going to be able to convince you about trans issues in a seven-minute segment. I'm just not going right. to. But I 100% can ask you why you aren't able to afford an apartment in in a, a home to live in Miami, and this is all the, these are all the real estate incentives he's been dealing to everybody but you. And people, well, my, in my yeah. experience, people are responsive to that. And what, and if you don't think they are, I want to hear from you what the alternative is because I'll tell you what, sitting here and just being like, okay, but I'm going to defend, and I got to say something else. We get, keep getting caught up in defending, I will defend trans people to the day I die. I'm not going to defend some of the nonsense and some of these interlocutors that come out of out of these specific instances. Like I watched some of the people who were speaking on behalf of Netflix and it's like you are not community. We are not on the same team. It's like this cringy, warny, like a superficial. Yeah, it's like the the, they defend the most superficial aspects of the plight of the some of the most marginalized people. It's these cringy. I'm sorry, extremely privileged seeming people who are making the case. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting sucked into that. I will defend your right for whatever medical intervention you need. I will defend your right to safety and against all of these trans law, anti-trans laws. I will defend tooth and nail, but I'm not going to get sucked into some culture war with that person. You know, the woman who had the turban on at Netflix, who was previously taken down for all her anti-Asian slurs on Twitter. Like, no, I'm not defending her. She sucks. Right. I, I, I respect that. And the, what I'm saying, like, as an alter, I'm not saying that, you know, to, to try to, like, you know, just attack and, and battle on this culture war with them. But what I am saying is I think that we should try and be a little like being more conscious about the audience that we're speaking to with these um, sorts of issues. And that if we're speaking to somebody who's already like on the, you know, Tucker, DeSantis, Trump trainer or whatever, a lot of times they're probably bought into these culture wars and th- almost everything else just will not matter. And like th- there was an example I saw, there was a video, um, I don't know who released it, Kyle Kalinske covered it. There was a YouTube video like exposing, like going line for line, exposing DeSantis administration's actual corruption. And all mm-hmm. the comments were just them uh, trying to say like, this is fake news, like, BS and everything. It didn't talk anything about any culture wars, just well, that's because, um, things Carolina like that. Boy, so, yeah. You have to also earn people's trust. And that's a longer project. And people don't want to do that. And I respect that they don't want to do that. And they feel like they don't want to be. But like, it is so rare. And, and, and look, I'm, I say, I've am i said this in a million different contexts. You've got to, tr- if you want people to trust you, you have to 
behave, interact with them in a way that extends good faith, even if they haven't earned it. It's not about whether or not you think they're really being honest. You, if you think that you want to speak to a good faith actor, you have to talk in a way that presumes there's a good faith audience. Even if the person you're talking literally to, if it's a Charlie Church debate or whatever, even if the person you're talking literally to, you don't think is really operating in good faith or you're not sure. Yeah, which he wasn't. Because it's, it's not for Charlie. It's not for Andrew Sullivan. It's not for anybody. It's for the, the hypothetical person out there who is listening to these people, because I got to be honest, liberals do not explain themselves well. And it's hard for me to be that mad at someone for getting caught up in some of this stuff when I, I never hear liberals. The whole reason I started writing and being a journalist is because of all of the nonsense I saw being written about all of these issues that I was supposed to be on the same side of liberals. And I was like, this is stupid. Your cultural appropriation take is stupid. Your identity politics take is stupid. You are messing it up for the rest of us. And so, like, it's, I, if, if I do this in a year or two down the line, I feel like there's not an organic audience that people are not receptive after I'm doing these kind of debates and things, then I'll stop doing them. But I see what the status quo is. And what's the what's the alternative, Carolina man? You want me to just to keep pe- preaching to the choir? No, I'm, I'm not saying to I'm not saying to do that. I'm, I'm just saying that I feel like there's got to be some type of middle ground where yeah, some some sort of middle ground where we can talk about these things that's not in the sanctimonious preachy way that you know the the, the mainstream liberals uh, you know uh, try to talk down to people about these issues and that we can uh, try to bring in people who aren't really engaged yet and focus on them more than trying to you know convert people that are that that have gone down the culture war path. Uh, with, you know, with some of these pe- people that, you, that you're talking about that, you know, Charlie Kirk or Tucker Carlson or whatever, the, the bad faith actors. Well, I'm, I'm just argue, trying to think yeah, of a way to do that. No, I, I hear you, Carolina Boy, but the reason that they have figured out how to get people who are not typically engaged, engaged, and they have done so by capitalizing on, I think, sincerely held feelings that people have that things are worse off for them than they were for their forefathers, that they are being left behind by society and they are expressing that feeling of being left behind economically and socially in a way that is legitimate through a discontent with the way they're being left behind in these cultural ways. And I know that it's a big faux pas to say that there's any kind of uh, um, material drive to racism and bigotry and homophobia and all of these things. I know that that is perceived as diminishing the bigotry. And I understand why people think that. And, that, and sometimes those arguments have been made. But I don't think it's responsible to pretend like there isn't a component of that here. And that part of what's going on, look at look at Dave Chappelle's whole Netflix special. Whatever you think about it, the, it's clear to me it. that the, and the argument that he's making is, why is it that you're allowed to say all of this terrible, I can sit here and say all this terrible shit about black people. Everybody can make fun of all these black jokes. And I can mm-hmm. sit here and make jokes about lesbians. He talks about punching lesbians in the face and a bunch of other things in this stuff sexist jokes bitch bitch all this stuff but he doesn't but no one really gets mad until he talks about trans so it, it, I, I, I that is not a, a, i'm not saying that's the way to go about making that argument but it's fundamentally an argument about being feeling like you're left behind why isn't my group respected as much as some other group in the world now to me you got to redirect because obviously black people aren't suffering because of trans people and obviously there's black trans people the re- right. but you, you've got to get in there and be and validate the underlying concern and say, why is it that all these rich pundits are pointing the finger at everybody but themselves? Why is it all these elites? 
They're right. They're they're capitalizing on your pain. They're appropriately diagnosing your pain. But why are why is it Ron DeSantis and Tucker Carlson and Tyson Chicken Fortune and all of these people who have millions of dollars to their name? Why why are they pointing to the most vulnerable people? Do you even know a trans person? Why are they acting like that's the root of your issue, as opposed to Elon Musk and all of their friends who are sitting here ruling the world and getting 60% richer in the middle of an economic crisis. That's the redirection. But if you're not willing to get in the conversation, they're going to win because people are already mad. People who are disaffected and normally checked out are checked in now because they've been delivered a clear enemy. And I don't think it helps trans people in other marginalized communities to let them continue to be punching bags because you're not providing an alternative. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I think you have some really interesting points on this. Um, I th- I think we should still keep looking for, um, you know, good like if we can like sharpen up these strategies like in better ways. And like I'm curious to see like you know what you'll find going forward. Um, but yeah. uh, overall, like I really do appreciate you know y- your work in general and your commentary. And um, and I just I just mainly hope that you know you- you'll try to keep. Uh, you, you know, keep like, I guess, keep the base to some degree. Like, the, mainly, mainly, I'm talking about like the marginalized communities in mind when we go, go over these issues. Because, uh, you know, I, I just like it, it just disgusts me to see that, you know, people getting massacred, the white replacement theory thing. And I'm not saying like it's this guy like Tucker told this guy intentionally to do it and, and or, or anything like that. But you know, people that, uh, you know, people that have influence like Tucker that foment these type of um, you know, that, that foment these type of, uh, cultural, um, grievances against marginalized communities in order to distract from class issues and, you know, and, and those sort of grievances eventually, uh, cause, you know, crazy people to do these types of things. It's just, it's just problematic. And, um, yeah, for sure. Which it, I know, which I know well, that you know it, that, yeah. Yeah, it's, and I appreciate you, you know, it is a work in progress and we're all trying to figure it out. So let me know. Please do call in again if you have some thoughts or feelings about an approach you think has served you well or is effective. I look forward to hearing from you, Carolina Boy. Thank you, Brianna. You have a great weekend. You too. Bye. All right, AP, Advanced Placement. What's on your mind this evening? Hey, Brianna, how's it going? I'm all right. What you thinking about? This afternoon, so, I should say. It's earlier than usual. I got to change up my lingo. Yeah, long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, welcome. Thank you. So um, I recently watched your debate with uh, Charlie Kirk. Um, I think you're being a little hard on yourself. I think you did overall very good. Um, yeah, well, it's the thing, that my, the thing that stuck in my memory, and I still haven't watched it back because I'm not psychologically prepared, um, but was... I, you know, with these people, it's all about tone and not losing your cool. And right. I did lose my cool within like the first 10 minutes. And I felt like that just, so lost, I, wanted to I actually, lost credibility. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to actually ask. So I'm 110% aligned with your um, views mm-hmm. growing up in Canada. I'm as, I'm as progressive and as lefty as they come. Um, but I feel like the left sometimes does themselves disservice in the style that they debate in the sense that we debate feelings and they debate facts. So he asked the question, the first question was, is systemic racism real? Um, And if you look up systemic racism, it's not, you can't really, or we can't really point to a law 
on the books, right? Like I, I again, I hit the quote Shapiro, Ben Shapiro, but he always the, the a tactic he always uses is show me a law on the books. And I'll be with you fighting for it. Well, first of all, wait a minute, wait a minute. First of all, there are a million laws in the books. And second of all, systemic racism isn't about a specific law. That's like a, a, con, a contradiction in definitional terms. So for one, I, I hate to remind everybody of this, but we had legal segregation in the United States of America until my mother was a small child. That is very much a law in the books. I don't understand what right. else you need. No, no, <laughs> I mean, no, there was... I, I, Slavery had to be, we had to amend the constitution to get rid of slavery. That's very much a law on the biggest book, the biggest law book in America called the constitution. (laughs) Completely agree. Completely agree. But is he, is he asking what's on the books now or is he asking, did it exist? Because I feel like. Yeah. Well, their question is their, their contention is that, well, slavery ended and segregation no longer exists. So why are you still complaining? At which point you can point to very specific. Right. Statistics and outcomes like the like the lingering effects of redlining, where you can see that all the black people to this day still like basically live in redlined neighborhoods. Right. And there's no integration in the school system or the housing system. Right. And again, I, I find his I, I really found his example super disingenuous of saying, well, you went to Harvard. Racism is over. It's like you're using N of one. Right. Just yes, because it's, it's too stupid to almost argue with. Yeah. Just it's, it's like saying, OK, um. So-and-so, you know, I don't know, so-and-so uh, got vaccinated and this happened. So that means vaccines. Are, like, no, that's not how you make public policy. Right. <laughs> or, or that's not how you make um, you have to have a data set. So just saying, oh, you went to Harvard, therefore racism is over. is, is just ridiculous. So I think I mean, I think they just do that bait and switch. And I don't know. I don't know if they're just better at that, those argumentative skills or, or, or what it is. But. I f- They're I find- willing to say things that I think are so untethered from reality and the truth that it's almost, it's, it's, it was, it was like shocking to me. I mean, first of all, that I would never have agreed to do the debate if I knew that the premise, the opening question is, is systemic racism real? That's right. like saying, is the sky blue? I'm sorry. It's too basic. And I appreciate that someone should do that debate, but I don't have time for that. Like right. that is not, that's ridiculous. No. Know? And again, I, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm just saying. The, the manner which these guys debate it kind of, you know, puts the person debating them at a disadvantage because they're like, well, it's not on the books. So if it was, you know, 100 years ago, well, it's gone now. So what's what's the problem? Also, like, you got to not do not that. It it's it's truly not 100 years ago. I emphasize when my mother was a child because I'm a 36-year-old woman. Right. My mother is, what, 62, 63? And when she was born, when she was born, a young woman... A rel- you know, a woman who is not of retirement age, mm-hmm. she did not have equal rights in the United States of America. My mother. This is not a hundred years ago. And the idea that the that that didn't have impacts on my mother's life, and then that consequently didn't have effect on my life, is ludicrous beyond measure. I mean, we have we have friends that live ten minutes away from us, and if you look at their the deed on their house, it's an older house. The deed on the house says, you know, do not sell to X Y Z. Yeah, a lot of a lot of leases have restrictive covenants. I mean, the nature of real you know real estate contracts is that the, you know you have the deeds going back and back in time, so that stuff is there with you in perpetuity. And right. it's it's a fascinating historical document, and it's right. not that historical because it wasn't that long ago. Right, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, I think I think overall you did you did well, so don't be too hard on yourself. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, AP. Yeah, and I think another thing is about 
you know, you've been talking a lot about, uh, you know, with different candidates about, you know, can we, you know, about the the Democratic Party. And I think we have to kind of face up to the fact that we're not going to we're not going to change them. So you either have to infiltrate and, and, and change within or you have to just create something new, because I almost feel like, you know, the, the party is like a, a stream of water running down the hill. Right. It's going to go where it's going to go. You standing beside the stream and saying, come this way and mm-hmm. steering it into the direction you want it to go is not going to do it. The only way you're going to do it is you're going to have to build walls or dams to forcefully direct that water into the direction you want to go. So mm-hmm. unless there's something, you know, like forced to vote or, you know, something super concrete that you make them do it, not because out of the kindness of their heart, but there's going to be consequences if they don't. That's the only way I see it changing because all these guys get in, they're all careerists, they get, you know, co-opted or, or something happens and, you know, they all talk a big game in the beginning, but then, you know, talk is cheap. When time comes to act, none of them do. And that's, that's why I got to say, I, it feels so crucial to have a third party just as a placeholder. I don't care what it is. And I, I have my frustrations with some aspects of the forward party, like all of you do. And I really hope that Andrew considers, you know, at least having like a, a no corporate money pledge to me, if ideology aside, if there's a no corporate money pledge and they fight for ballot access and ranked choice voting, I'm on board, you know, I'm on board, but there needs to be something because it's like, look at the student debt stuff. It's like Biden does something terrible. And it's like, what you going to do about it? Nothing. We're all made impotent by not, being able to credibly withhold our votes. We withhold our votes. They tell us we're being lazy. Your ancestors fought for your right to vote, blah, blah, blah. Like there needs to be a bucket to, you know, an affirmative vote that can demonstrate your dissatisfaction with the two-party system. And if that bucket could funnel people in from both parties who are dissatisfied, that could be a really powerful political statement, right? Yeah. And I think we have to play the long game, just like, you know, just to, just like the, you know, the, the, the other side, sort of, I mean, not really related, but, you know, the abortion debate, right? They play the long game of, like, 50 years, you know, they put people in places, they put judges in places, they groom them to be gone. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. we can't expect to have a third party, and then in, in a couple of election cycles, you know, they're in power. So. Yeah, so, but also, I mean, look, there are third parties. I mean, you can vote for the Green Party pretty much anywhere today. Right. And I will be doing that. I, I got to tell you, I'm, I mean, I've, I've said as much in the past. I look at what Biden's doing right now. I look at a week like we've had with Buffalo, with Uvalde, with student debt cancellation, with the ongoing Ukraine stuff, with Somalia. I mean, all of this stuff just in the last month. And I think, why on earth? Abortion? Why on earth? Tell me, like, it would be, I, I feel like I would have to be an insane person to take my ass in the District of Columbia, which isn't even a goddamn state because the Democrats are too punk to just make a new state <laughs> that would help them <laughs> win the Senate <laughs> um, and vote in the District of Columbia. I don't even have representation. I'm going to take my District of Columbia as vote and vote for Joe Biden or a member of the goddamn Democratic Party. Not on my watch, not today, Satan. I just cannot imagine the universe in which that makes sense for me. Right. And it, it might just be, uh, you know, the, the, the system of, I mean the 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 system in of government, right? Like Canada has a has a parliamentary system, so you know you can create coalition governments. Whereas mm-hmm. you know in the states, as with everything, everything is black and white. 
Yeah, right? and it's intentional. So yeah, I mean, for sure. And they're, they're, I mean, life is gray. Life is not black and white. So, um, you know, again, I, I think, you know, they're essentially the same party, just on, you know, minor minor differences on, you know, cultural, you know, cultural issues. But at the end of the day, they both support all the all the all the things that matter to them in terms of war and money and all that other, you know, all yeah. that stuff that, you know. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. For sure. Hey, people, thank you for calling it. I appreciate it. No worries. And thank Good you for your you. words of support. <laughs> thank you. Joe White. I love other people who have color last names. I feel like we're in a special rainbow family. How are you doing, Joe White? And meet yourself and let us know what's on your mind this afternoon. It looks like you might be new here. You got to use the unmute button. It's the little microphone in the bottom right hand corner. Oh, hey, hey, Bree. Thank you. I, there you go. I I've called you before, but I, <laughs> okay. I think I accidentally hit the call button. I was I was just trying to listen. Um, oh, okay. Well, Joe, do you, do you want to shout out? Is you got any birthdays in the family? <laughs> <laughs> pour, pour one out for um, the homies, you know? They, yeah. Um, to the uh, people who have colors as last name, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, but no, really, though, good. Since I am here, I will definitely say um, good episode earlier today um, with the professor from, was it UC Irvine mm -hmm. um, on, on Somalia? That was good. And uh, thank you for all the great work. Thank you. I appreciate that, Joe. Keep the faith. All right, Allison, unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. How are you? I am currently wrestling a two-year-old trying to get them to change their diaper. So I was like, I was like, Joe, please hold on, hold on. Like, hold no. no, it's okay. She's fine. Um, okay. It's been, uh, but yeah, I'm just, thank you for, you know, having this conversation and on these particular topics. It's also really like this time, like, I hope you can go to bed earlier. And oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always presume that if I do it like kind of during the quote unquote work day, like I'm very sensitive to the fact that I don't have a normal schedule and that right. I shouldn't make people just because I'm free in the middle no, of the afternoon. Conform. They should conform to you. Like, <laughs> what are they talking about? Like if everyone can tune in they can always listen to it later, you know, that's true. Um, that's true. I mean, I do love the long, you know, the long talks at night, you know, but at the same time, like, you know, you gotta go to sleep. And like, I feel bad for your ice cream sometimes. Just waiting out there, <laughs> wait, like, cause I'm also one of those people. Um, okay, so I have like first thing first. Okay, I watched the first. Okay, so I'm not a Star Trek fan. Okay, like as in like I just I'm too young. It's right? okay. Like, nobody's perfect. Kinda... Wait, wait, Allison, like, that is not an I give it my like solid try though. Like I, I watched, I'm trying to like get into it. Right. Like, okay. Um, so I watched the first two episodes of the, or the first couple episodes of the original and I was like, okay, this is okay. Not bad for like 1960 okay. something. And then, but, um, I watched the first two episodes of the far, like, what was it? Strange far side? Worlds. Oh. Or Strange New Worlds. The star, it's like the new Star Trek that just came out. There's like four episodes out. It's on like Paramount Plus, but you can watch it on Amazon if you want. It is so good, Brie. Like, please uh. watch it. Like, it will give you a new, like, lease on life. Um, okay. It's got like, yeah, it's good. It's, it's, it's got, spicy, it's got though. what? Okay. Well, it's got, it's got Spock. 
being a little spicy in like the first. Oh, this is like, oh. the new one. This is the one with the cute little yes. short haired Uhura that everyone was talking about. Yeah. Oh my She's god, I love her hair. so much. I love her so. I love her so much. She's so like. So the second episode is basically completely focused on her, and like I like how it's going so far. It's very cinematic, honestly. I think like aesthetically, it's a gorgeous TV show. If y'all, even if you don't like Star Trek or any of that, like please watch it. I think it's such a good rendition of like what it was trying to be. And I like the last couple series I've tried out, I just didn't just didn't quite hit it. <laughs> This is going to hit it for me. Like, this one, I really recommend. I think they go into the that ethos that you're talking about with Star Trek, you know, that, that deeper, mm-hmm. like, you know, and we'll, I think it's a really we'll beautiful see. story. We'll see, oh, Allison, yeah. because yeah, the yeah, contemporary yeah. Star Treks right. historically completely I know, missed the I know. point. And right. I, I would also not recommend, I mean, the original series, you know, you just got to, like, pay your dues or whatever, but I, I don't, I don't. I, I like the original series for the vibes and the outfits, not because so I like to watch What is them. your favorite, like, series? Deep Space Nine. But my recommendation okay. to people, like, I think that you can start watching Deep Space Nine from the beginning, and it's good. However. Is, what, is that the one with Picard? And, no. No? Oh, okay, no. so Deep Space Nine is with Captain uh, or Commander Benjamin Sisko. Okay. And I do think it's better if you have watched some Next Generation first because they were they were on TV at the same time for like a year or so. And the first episode of Deep Space Nine does have Captain Picard in it, and there's like a very interesting drama that develops because this is not a spoiler. This is just what it is. At some point, Picard. It's been out for thirty years. Right. (laughs) Well, at some point, Picard gets. captured by the Borg and made into a Borg. It was like a robot. Oh, yeah, I thought, yeah, I know that. And while he was Borg, assimilated was the word I was looking for, I'm sorry. And while he was assimilated, he killed Benjamin Sisko's oh. wife. Oh, oh my gosh. So Benjamin Sisko, in this, in this huge battle where a lot of people died, da, da, da. so Benjamin okay. Sisko, he has, he's widowed, he has a teenage son who's the cutest little boy, Jake, and it's some of the best fatherhood you're ever going to see on TV. And he is obviously very, he hate, like he sees Captain Picard, who is no longer Borg and like, wasn't really responsible for his actions. But, right. you know, he's still looking at the face of the man that killed your wife. Right. And right. so there's this really fascinating drama. And both Patrick Stewart and Avery Brooks are Shakespearean right. actors. And I think the first episode of Deep Space Nine is just like extraordinary because okay. of the drama. Right, you told me. I'll go watch it. So after these four episodes, that are, like, I hate currently airing TV shows because like I need a binge, right? Like, yes. so that was the reason why I went back to the old Star Treks because I was like, well, they're done, right? Like, it's been a bit. So at the yes. very least, I can, but I was, I was, I mean, stunningly, I'm like, I was so surprised with how, like, quote unquote, woke the first Star Trek was like I kept expecting I kept expecting like real sexism and like no creep vibes yeah no yeah I know and I was totally like okay I like this um because I I, honestly I was just coming there for like the Kirk Spock slash fic um (laughs) because like that that you know those those the people who made Kirk Spot fan fiction, you know, they, they led down to the rest, you know, they started it all, you know, so I really, I, I wanted to give homage, you know, homage to like, you know, their OGs. Anyways, anyways, um, so that was like the last, like the only bit of hope that I've had in this last week is like watching these TV shows. And I was like, okay, well, there's some good propaganda on the television. Like, yes. Um, so, you know, it was, it was started during the cold war, the original series right. and Gene Roddenberry really did have a vision. Now the shirt, the skirts are short. And Captain Picard sleeps with every woman they come across. 
But, you know, I'm on a short skirt. You know, yeah. it is what it is. Maybe I have a colonized right. mind, but it is what it is. Nah, short skirts. Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like, I will, I was just, like, really impressed, like, with the, I mean, so I think the, what is the first story is the man eater. Um, and I was just, like, genuinely impressed by it. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. it's, it's like, very progressive, not just for its time, but honestly. No, truly. So because it was during the Cold War, it was a big deal back then to have a Russian right. on the bridge and a Japanese yeah, guy yeah, on the Japanese bridge. Yeah, Japanese person, a black like, woman. Yes. Um, yeah. All of that was very progressive, and it still is. And I would say that in terms of ethos, like, in a week like this where you kind of want to feel good, to me, right. the moral lessons, the kind of ethical grounding of the next mm. generation is unsurpassed. And okay. it's a quieter show. It's a slower show. I hate the politics of the West Wing, but to the extent that the West yeah. Wing is kind of what they call competence porn and like yeah, a really yeah. easy watch where you I know everything's going to work out. Like that's what next generation is. It's like that, but okay. with good people and good ethics. Now, I will say some people say you should skip to like season three or four of the next generation because the first okay. couple of seasons are a little rough. You'll miss some backstory, but you can, I don't know, Google it and, and figure mm. it out because the relationships on Next Generation are so well wrought. And some of those characters, again, transfer over to Deep Space Nine, Worf, okay. um, Cole Meany, uh, Captain O'Brien. So it's nice to know a little backstory and to get right. introduced to who the aliens are and what their relationships are to each other. Because Deep Space Nine was a real departure because it's on a foreign, foreign, LOL, alien mm. space station. Their spirituality, I can't get all into it. I don't want to bore oh, no, everybody with my Star Trek takes, but I, I'm, I'm glad to hear you're giving it a try and you have to pop back in and let us know how it's going for you. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, your going recommendation and then, I mean, the Atmosphere of Hawkins is one thing, but I was like, okay, Free really likes this show. <laughs> and like, my dad watched it when I was like a baby, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, like, and, like every day it was a thing. Um, but like, Sounds I, great. I just... Yeah, I you know. Yeah, he is. He is. We watched. We watched. You know, Warrior Princess. We watched. I'm like, how did you not? I love and, that anyways, for you. No wonder you're elected. Uh, no wonder you've got great politics. Of course, of course. You know, you're watching Buffy and like all those shows, and then I watched the Western in college, and that was just like ugh, gross. Yeah. Um, there was like yeah. a, a couple good, you know. But anyways, I so I live in Texas, um, mm -hmm. and. I was like not even surprised when things happened. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted, I wanted to like feel shock and I wanted to feel like anger and like all I could feel is this like terrible, like, oh, well, it's just another, you know, Tuesday in America. And like I, I felt really guilty about feeling it, you know, that way. Mm -hmm. Um, because like I shouldn't feel that way. Am I the correct, you know? Mm -hmm. And then as more and more stories come out about the complete, like not even just like failure, but like, what was that word that we use for men who don't like do the dishes? It's like, um, incompetence, like, Oh uh, uh, yeah. Uh, weaponized incompetence. Yes. That's almost what it feels like to me. Mm. Like, um, or just like, I don't know. I mean, I was on the, I listened to this other podcast earlier today about like, they think there's this whole, it's suspicious and stuff. And I'm like, nah, this is just like another day in America. And like, it's easy for ki honestly kids to be like, go down these rabbit holes um, on the internet. It's easy for them to buy weapons. And it's especially easy for young men not to like raise any flags. They're just like, Oh yeah, here's my cash. You know, like not questioning mm -hmm. like where, bro, where you get all this money from like none mm -hmm. of that, like no background checks. He couldn't even have a, a driver's license, you know, mm -hmm. but he was able to get these like military style guns. Um, and I just, you know, and as 
a Texan, I got to be like respectful to the people who enjoy guns. And I'm just like, I don't want to be respectful. I want to like not have so much anxiety when I go out. Um, I want to be able to jog or like walk, you know, at night without having to worry about like being like, like I could run away, but I can't with a gun, you know, and I'm not going to buy one. Like, so I, I lived in South Korea for a little while. And like, honestly, that was the safest I ever felt because Mm -hmm. the very least, like even, even the police don't have guns there, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and even if they wanted to like kidnap me into like sex trafficking and some, you know, like it would still, there wouldn't be a gun involved. And I just like, that was such a freeing time for me because Mm I didn't have to deal with gun violence essentially on my person you know mm-hmm. i still hear the stories and everything but i wasn't like i wasn't a threat towards me personally because i was safe you know because i was in a country that doesn't have guns and um i mean like and this is a country that like almost every, all the men would go to military service because it's required and they have like professional gun training mm-hmm. and do all those sort of stuff and there's still toxic masculinity and all this stuff but they just can't do the things that they're doing because they don't have guns um it's just not possible even the cops even the cops even the cops don't have guns yeah, um, and... I think like, it feels like a real, a real leap for the American mind to even really conceptualize of a level of safety that would, right. you know, that, 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 you know, where the, even the police don't have guns, like to really wrap your brain around right. that level of crime and that level right. of safety in a place. I think it's kind of beyond the American experience, the American imagination. Absolutely. I mean, not just that, but I think. I mean, this is kind of like, I think we started to be having these conversations about like, what, what could it be like without as many weapons, you know, and started in like, I mean, there was been a lot of, um, I mean, of course, like all my liberal friends were like, take everybody's guns away. And I'm just like, no, let, you know, people who have been marginalized, let them keep guns because they deserve it because they've been like, they have personal experience of being attacked by the state. So like they should keep the guns, police first. You know, I want the police to militarize first. I don't like, and especially now. Like when it's off, it's so blazingly obvious that like they didn't even go in. You know, they had more weapons, they had more people, but they still like let the shooter murder children like slowly. He killed them yeah. slowly in well, front of is, their friends. This is part of like, the reason why this this issue that you raise about you know who should not have guns and what to do and how to kind of respect, I think, some legitimate concerns about wanting to defend yourself against a government that seems increasingly out of touch and perhaps antagonistic to your interests. I, this is why I keep coming back to this issue of trust. Like, it seems so naive. Like, there's always a power for a government to exploit you. There's always a trust. But if you want to live in a society, if you want to live in a society, at some point you have to figure out how to trust each other. And yes, also trust some aspect of your government, even because it's so democratic and so... Um, there, you know, there, it's so easy to be influenced through actual democracy and actual votes. And you know, if there's bad actors, you can get them out of office. But like the alternative is not a society. The alternative is right. everyone bunkering down, arming up, separating out, not paying taxes, hopefully just building a wall around your property and hoarding your money. And, 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 and that's <laughs> what it comes down to. Property. <laughs> I mean, right. But like truly that's the Mad Max outcome yeah. that libertarians and increasingly numbers of people, because I, because that's the thing. I understand why they're distrustful. I understand why you right. look at this, this information are and all of this crap and the way these parties have been done nothing for it and say, well, never mind. I'll do it on my own. I'll withdraw my kid from school. I'll do it on my own. Right. Like, I understand the impulse, but the end game of that is insane. And I don't feel comfortable telling people just, okay, we'll actually though trust the government, trust everybody. Cause I mean, I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But it's like, how do we get to a point where we are in a relationship with each other as a community where yeah. we feel like we can govern, even if it's on the city or state or neighborhood or community level 
in a way that we're able to give up. We're we're actually willing to say, okay, I'm going to give up my gun now because I actually trust in my neighbor and I trust in my mayor and I trust in my police force or my social workforce or whatever it, it ends up being. Okay, it's, I mean, there's this concept of community as well. And I feel like that, I mean, this was, I mean, it's kind of like coming up again and again with these stories of, you know, from or these stories of these mass shooters, like they were isolated, you know, mm-hmm. they hadn't mm-hmm. talked to any, you know, they were, I mean, this kid had a girlfriend, so I'm like, I don't know how isolated Wait, 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 was, like, I thought she was like in Germany. I thought she was like... You know, my girlfriend okay, in Canada kind like, of a situation. I could be wrong. Situation, but, but definitely closely. she knew. She knew. Um, yeah. You know, his yeah. friends knew. Just like in Boston, his little white supremacist buddies he was talking to, they knew. FBI knew. Um, well, there was a like, cop in the chat, right? Like he announced yeah, it. Okay, yeah, but that cop, you know, he white supremacist. Like, right. I mean, he's um, in a white supremacist chat, so like. <laughs> right. And yeah. Like, but it's even, even if you are, like, well, I mean, I guess that's the point. Like, I'm not a white supremacist, so I really don't understand what goes through your head, you know? Um, but I just, like, I mean, this is the El Paso shooter, too. Like, he's so, the El Paso shooter was from my area, and, like, it's a privileged area to be from. Like, I'm like, bro, like, you just could have just stayed home, like, and, and like, like I said, like, got in a job just by being white. Seriously, as a white man, it's so easy to get a job and get paid, like, good money. Um, and yet, you know, All the you decided to drive, like, 200, Sorry. 300, 400 miles, yeah. like, and I... I just, I mean, I'm, you know, it's, it's the culture, right? Like it's the, in the culture, I mean, culture is made up of many things, right? It's yeah. the people around you. It's what you're taught. It's the media, it's books, it's like school. And it's also like yourself, like, you know, purposely, you know, going towards these, you know, certain things and yeah, you want to take, <laughs> sorry. No, no, I appreciate all of that. And I think let's, let's, I'm yes. curious to see, I'm going to move, I'm going to move along, but yes, yes, sorry, people, if you like... want to talk about. No, no, you're fine, Allison, but let's talk about this a little bit because this question of, you know, Republicans bring up, I think, movies and video games and stuff as a way to deflect from doing some concrete policy things around gun reform. But I also personally, I know we don't want to like open the door to that because of those political reasons, but it does seem to me obviously that there's a lot of things going on. And talking with Tom, the first caller, with some of the ways we socialize men, it's not Mm -hmm. that like watching a movie or video game makes you a mass shooter, obviously, but there is a desensitization that happens. I was talking to my mom and brother over dinner last night about how we were not allowed to have toy guns of any kind. My grandparents yeah. got it. My brother was super soaker at one point. And my mom was really mad about it. And if there was like a gun like object, even a gun shaped object, even yeah. like putting your fingers in the shape of a gun, we were yeah. not allowed to point it at each other under no circumstances. Yes. Could you ever even fake point like a pin at each other in a gun like way? And to this day, I can't like I went to a Star Trek convention and had a phaser and I'll like yeah. pose with it for a photo and point it at the yeah. sky or whatever. But I exercise yeah. gun safety with an orange and blue plastic phaser. Well, you know? I think it's because you have like, like you have humanity. Like, well, you but no, but no, Allison, it's, it's because I people. was. But no, Allison, what I, my point of oh, yeah, is, that I, raised, I was yeah. raised. I was socialized yeah, to behave that way. Yeah. So, like, yeah. why aren't we all being socialized to behave that way and have that kind of, you know, sense of fear and. And like the legitimate, you know, um, carefulness around guns. So thank you so much for calling it, Allison. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Jam, what's on your mind this evening? Yo, can you hear me? I can. All right. First off, I want to give a shout out to you going after uh, the Kirk, no captain. Yeah, oh, like I was getting so tired of him, was ready to slide him for you. But, but I definitely want to come here and say appreciate everything you do. And um, I, I feel like this episode is definitely the episode for me to call in as like a leftist and as a gun owner. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and can, can consider myself uh, like a black patriot. Like I get so tired of the gun conversation when like it's only talks about like two extremes, either like uh, the gun people think about like, oh, they come like take our guns away. And then like uh, yeah, people are either thinking like the conversation goes that they're going to take all our guns away or we need um, some very, very, very minimal like gun, you know, like gun, um, new gun laws, in my opinion, won't change anything. I think the, I think the things that will actually like work and that will actually like, help out is actually going towards like manufacturers, which never is getting this, which never is in the conversation. Like mm. a, a big step that will end up um, eliminating most, like just not just like mass, not mass shootings like this, but most gun deaths, period. Is having thumbprints like on like on a, a weapon to where like if once you buy your once you buy your weapon you need to um you get get to, uh, to get it to work for you at the store you have to um make the manufacturers have like a thumbprint scanner on it's so only you can fire the weapon then if you want to um, add more thumbprints have to go to like if you want to have like a spouse or anybody else uh, be able to use the firearm have to go to the gun store to get that um you know to register the other thumbprint and each time you do it it's a background check like we have the technology already we have that already right now for for um for like, like gun locks like i can i can buy like a gun lock right now where i can h- put my pistol in and like my uh like my wife wouldn't be able to get it like, like only only i would cause, um, because i don't like because it's linked to my biometrics like we have this technology the government can enforce it just like how we force car manufacturers to put in seat belts we can do the same shit with this and it will end so like it'll be a drastic end to the black market so people can't just buy guns legally like in, like in another state um, where it's more lax gun laws and like uh, ship them into a state where it's more harsher gun laws. Mm-hmm. That's going to uh, drastic into that drastic, drastic into a lot of these child suicides mm-hmm. and so many suicides from like kids just going, getting like their parents' guns and shooting mm-hmm. and like and um, having mistakes or and it's a lot a big thing with like uh, toddlers and everything like killing themselves and shooting other people. Mm-hmm. You know, by them just getting access to the guns. Having that is a simple like is a simple measure which we can't enforce on gun manufacturers. But like never is nothing like we like we it's like the country doesn't have the imagination to think about like technology in a way to actually like, you know, help us. And, so I'm oh go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm gonna cut you off. No, it's all right. Go ahead. I'm very glad you called in. So first I want to say I am currently trying to put together an episode on exactly this question of gun manufacturer liability. I think it Mm -hmm. is drastically under discussed and I'm sure you're aware that there was that big settlement from the Parkland families uh, in February of this year. That was like the biggest settlement against a gun manufacturer. And I want to have some lawyers on to talk about what the implications of that might be and whether that should be a place we go. And I also, on my radar last week, I did, um, I talked about, you know, how conservatives often will bring up Chicago in these moments to kind of mm-hmm. just like blame. And I think that liberals exactly. should talk about all the gun violence in Chicago. And I think that your point about fingerprints would help a lot with the diff- diffusion of guns in the community and all of that. And, you know, in mm-hmm. that segment, I talk about how 60% of the guns in Chicago were bought out of state and including one store in Indiana. Yeah, but Indiana, that sells- yeah. Right. And what would happen if one, there were thumbprints and two, also there's a suit. Chicago city of Chicago has sued that store because of all of their, you know, malpractice and selling yeah. bulk guns to people and doing other things to evade some of the requirements that are supposed to prevent um, mass purchase of guns by gangs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate you, you bringing all of those things up. And I do think that sometimes liberals are so upset that allowing 
you know, different approaches are only, you know, that it's all in bad faith and that they don't even want to talk about other kinds of exactly. approaches because they think it's a deflection from talking about gun, uh, you know, rest- any kind of restrictions on, on um, gun access to guns, period. But I think that we can do mm-hmm. both. So I do want to come back exactly. to this first point you made about how you don't think that, you know, gun reforms are going to do anything. I wonder what you make of some of the statistics that people well, have been circulating. I, well, I don't say... Uh, I'm sorry. I don't want. Uh, I'm, I'm not think saying that gun reforms won't do anything. Mm-hmm. I think like some gun reforms people bring up won't do anything. Okay, like, so tell me, that, tell that, me more about that. Which thing. ones do you think are going to be ineffective? The biggest one, in my opinion, is would be the assault rifle ban, and this is a big thing where, where like I try, well, I've talked to you before, like I try, I try like flip people on on left issues. And this is one on the gun thing. It makes it so hard because once, like they, well, like once, like Randall like, probably a rural dude down here will like turn on the news and see somebody, you know, like talking about uh, like AR-15s or talking about guns. They instantly know, like, all right, this person don't know anything about guns and never shot a gun. I can't trust them to, you know, make to make like reasonable like legislation. And one of the reasons why I say like the assault rifle is like a lot of people think like the AR-15 uh, just because it's been it's been used um, in like a lot of these mass shootings is like it's like the most one of like the most dangerous uh, the most dangerous weapon. And like it's the more the more dangerous weapon it would be like is, is the um is a handgun like if we remove and I remember like in your and where you were on Rising uh, I can remember her name like Olaimi I believe her name was mm. was talking about once it had a, a assault rifle ban that it was less you know like less uh, shootings and everything mm-hmm. sure but that was like in the nineties we gotta look at it, like then like compared to now like then. Um, most of the handguns that you illegal handguns that will be out on the streets will be like revolvers, you know, so six shots, you know, semi-automatic six shots, revolvers and everything. Okay. Nowadays you can get, you can get like, um, you can get handguns that got like 15, you know, like regular semi-automatic, uh, handguns. They got like 15 rounds in, like in a magazine and getting extra magazines. You know, they usually, when you buy a new gun, they usually get two extra, you usually get an extra magazine anyway. So you can get like 30 rounds, the same amount, the same amount of rounds you can shoot with like an AR-15. And it's not like an AR-15 is going to shoot any faster than the, um, than like a modern, than the modern day, uh, semi-automatic pistol. And, so but, and which, Help, help me understand this, Jam. Okay, so why, mm-hmm. why then, if the pistol is just an effective killing machine, why do so mm-hmm. many of these mass shootings occur with the AR-15s? Most of them happen. They occur. Most of them occur with the AR. It's more. It's more so a psychological thing. Like this one thing I want to go like. If you like, if you ban, because if you, I'm not saying that, like like if you ban like the AR-15, then people are just going to use the pistols way more effectively. But like the reason why, the reason why like more people now will they'll do do like a mass shooting with a um an AR-15 is simply because it's the the military style look of it. Like that's the play. That's a big. That's a big role. Like into it, the military style. Um, look of it, and that it's easier. It's a little bit. It's a little bit easier to procure one, depending on where you at. Um, than than a handgun. Well, no, let me stop. Okay. More so, more laws and, and, so then, oh, go ahead. so if, if it's true that people use them because they're more easy to procure, wouldn't it be better to make them less easy to procure, just like I'm, handguns? And then my second, the second yeah, point I'm I want to make. But I want to respond, oh, yeah, to, respond to both of these. The second point I would mm-hmm. say is if there is this kind of psychological thing that's going on where people like mm-hmm. Crystal did a great segment about how there's this relationship between 
whether America's at war and how many shootings there are at home and that there are these people who mm-hmm. are there. They really think they're on a crusade. They think they're on an, a, an almost military sanction style mission. The guy who shot up the B- Buffalo supermarket, he thought he was Agreed. doing something almost like nationalistic and militaristic. And so if there, mm-hmm. if, 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 if access to military style weapons is part of people's being able to imagine themselves in the side of good, isn't it a better thing to force them into a world where they're using a weapon that's more associated with gang crime or quote unquote, the bad guy? No, I, I don't like, like I said, it, the, having them, cause once you come, cause we think about it, once you come to, once you come to the conclusion that, that you're going to kill somebody and everything, like you're going, whatever's going to be, if you, once you already made it to like like to that mental state, you're just going to procure whichever is going to be like easier like for you like at at the moment. Like I said, in some states, it's easier like to get than than like a pistol. But like in most like southern states, like it doesn't matter. Like right here, like in Kentucky, I can buy an AR-15 and a pistol. Like it's not go- it's going to be like the same amount of wait time and like everything. It's not going to make it's not going to be a real difference. You know, like, so I, was, I just brought up that point. It was a little bit harder depending on where, you know, depending on where you are. But like, yes, it does. It has, it have like the military style weapon. It does play to, um, to part like a side of, of somebody's psyche of being, being, you know, like a, like a soldier and everything and like going out like against, against the enemy. But if we take, if we take like the rifles, say, let's say we take the rifle away. I don't think it's still is going it's going to solve it because especially most of these shootings coming up, like I said, people with have are within gun culture enough to know, like, okay, I'm just going to get I'm just going to get a pistol, you know. But that's that's but, going to be the, the pistols, like, people... but the pistols are just as deadly, you know. I'm saying it's going to be more deadly than than um, the AR, and just like when the the shooter, like I'm more upset like at the police like this because it's the shooter is going like going up to the school and everything. It was already a cop there. And you got an AR-15. Like you can't hide the fucking, you know, like the AR-15. Like this, this is a big ass gun, you, you know. So once there's no, yeah, there's no way he's he could be able like to conceal that. So that's just complete failure, you know, like on the police and like and engaging them. Now, but if you come now, if we have some like a uh, a shooter, like we, there's no um AR-15s, but they have like a pistol. Like it's way easier from just skate right past, you know, like the police. Uh, uh, like and everything, go into the room and just start shooting. Like there's no, there's no, there's been no type of, no type of warning or anything, or any, like you know, there've been no type of way to like discern that this person like has has a gun. But like if I'm like all these shootings of people just walking up, like going through the front door, you know, with a rifle, and you have like officers there, that's just a complete, you know. That's just a complete failure, like on on the officer for not seeing like like I said this big ass gun. Like it's not like you can just fit in your pocket, you know, anything is too, too, too big and everything. For that. Right, no, I, I hear you on that, Jim, but to me, this is all kind of beside the point. If your argument mm. is that if one kind of gun is less accessible, people use another kind of gun, then my response is great. Let's make all of these guns less accessible. Like to me, the, and, and I said, this is sure, that's a, my, that's my, my radar. Like I completely respect, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to, I have no interest in getting rid of the second amendment. I have no interest in preventing people from having mm-hmm. guns, but also five-year-olds can't drive cars. And there's obviously limits yeah. on all kinds of things that people hey, can do. I'm with you. And if, if yeah, everybody, I'm not, I'm not arguing if, against that. if you look around and see that most of the people who do these kinds of things are under 25 and I have to be 25 mm-hmm. to rent a car, I don't see why I shouldn't have to be 25 to get any kind of gun like, other, have, or most kind of guns. I don't understand I, why. I mean, a, um, and, and wait, well, one, a, one second jam, one ahead. second jam. Go ahead. 
And the argument that is being made in the why some of these lawsuits have been successful, despite there being federal legislation, mind you, that bars banning, uh, bars um, suing these gun manufacturers. And I know that Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. supported that. And I don't, I'm not his mom and I'm not responsible for everything mm-hmm. he said or did. I don't agree with him on that. But I, uh, part of why they were able to evade, uh, successfully sue was because they were able to prove that they had marketed irresponsibly to use. And that's part of why people have been circulating these ads with like toddlers with guns on their laps because they're very purposefully trying to get these guns into the hands of young people and therefore bear some responsibility. So what do you say to the idea of having age limits on guns and having more substantial mental health checks? I know that people think that that could be an abridgment of liberty because you can basically decide, you know, being a Republican or whatever is, or being black or whatever is, you know, a barrier to getting a gun if you design these tests a certain kind of way. But, you know, I, I, when you're confronted with a horror like we've seen this week in these past two weeks, I, I'm, I'm increasingly indifferent. I got to be honest. To I get the you. Ways. I'm not. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, all right. I get you. Like, I'm not against, like, so I'm not against, like, like different, like, gun laws or, like, gun reforms or, or anything like that. Like, I, I just don't, I don't think, I'm saying, I just don't think that the assault rifle ban, like, if you want to, if we, if we want to be, like, serious, or so just completely serious about it, we're going to have to ban all guns that have, like, gun buybacks. That's just going to be what we're going to, going to have to do. But, like, that the American culture won't, like, won't stand for that. That's why I think, like, the most effective way, you know, like, I'm down for, like, other, you know, other, like, gun laws and gun restrictions. But I think the most effective way is, like, like I said, with the thumbprint scanner on, like, on, um, having that on, has not been that standard and having that being, like, federal law or, or towards the gun manufacturers to be an actually effective way to end a lot of, like, just period, like, gun, you no know, gun crimes and gun deaths. Now, as a, re- as a respect to, like, the, um, 18 year old, the 18 year old, um, laws and everything, to be honest, I am, I'm torn between it because in a way I am, I don't, as a, as a part of principle, I don't want to tell an 18 year old, I can draft you to the war and you can go and die for this country. Jam, I have but a solution I want to for that. You from I, doing I, other stuff. People say that right, and I I'm, have a, people say that jam and I have a really good solution for that. How about oh, yeah, we not I'm down send... for like raising the age then. Wait, yeah, wait, raising wait, the wait, age wait, to get some scripted. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, like I'm down. Like that's what I'm saying. That like I, I want to tell you, I'm coming at you in all good faith. You know, like, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I get, like, I get those those arguments and everything. Like you know, like yeah, I'm I'm down for like raising. Like if, we wanna, if we're going to do that, then all right, let's raise the age to like um to draft kids and shit. Then well, then let's raise the age to where like we're not going to um we're not going to try kids, like, eighteen year olds as adults. Then or you know, mm-hmm. let's not let these mm-hmm. kids be able to like uh, to get all this the massive suit of debt, student debt and shit. But I fear that we're going to do, if we're going to do, I don't want to do one thing, you know, like not the other. Cause that's to me, that's, that's infringing upon like their, like their, uh, their liberty and everything, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's my, that's my, that's my principled you know, response to it. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's my, yeah, that's my more, my more principled, principled response to it, but as a more practical response, um, most of these mass, most of these mass shootings, it's it's normally not it's normally not like when, when, in regards to like an eighteen year old it's normally not the um the eighteen year old using their own gun 
it's more it's normally them you like this this week is like it's been unfortunate but it's it's normally um it's normally like their parents guns or friends gun or somebody bought the gun for them you know well, like normally this, not, not I, I, I like that point and i think that comes back to your point about fingerprinting but do you think a lot of these yeah. gun families like there's not a robust conversation about the way that these people's parents and the broader gun culture are enabling this and you know, I, I'm afraid that even if we had the fingerprinting, I think that this is not a reason not to do it, but that a lot of these parents would go ahead and register their firearms for their kids' use because these people are crazy. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, like, that's, like, that's what they're like. Like, they're like, they're like, like, they're like I'm, I'm down here in gun country. Like, like I feel you. Like, that, you, that, that made, that made, I'm in Kentucky. I'm in okay. Louisville, Kentucky right now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm originally from Detroit, though. I think I say that every time I come on the call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry, my bad. But, um, Oh, no, no, no. I was just saying that because I'm always shouting out Detroit. Love my city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is yeah, like I'm right here, like down deep in like gun, gun country and everything. Like I started a black gun group here mm-hmm. in response to the law that, um, happened what, uh, June, uh, 2019, where was, they call it like constitutional carry where like you don't have to have, you know, training like a, a like a permit anymore to conceal carry a weapon and that scared the shit out of me mm-hmm. so I, I started like the gun group to show people how to actually like use like use guns like people think that it's like just super simple you know like to just, just point and shoot but i've seen people miss like three yards and that's the shit that scares me you know so, so i'm trying like to have a way to um uh to, to get more like uh responsible gun owners and everything was showing uh trying to show a lot of like safety and everything but like i'm all i'm i'm down for like say like raising the age limit for like uh getting uh um for purchase and purchasing weapons i'm down for like you have to in order like to get a gun you have to to get the um like a concealed carriage license in order like to have uh, especially to have like a pistol we may have to have like different different regulations for having like rifles and like shotguns because of hunting culture and everything. But yeah, I'm I'm with a, a, a lot of that shit. But I'm just thinking like the most effective thing would be just like how we have like the um like the seatbelt laws with cars to do the same thing with with the um with uh firearms and everything and yes and it's going to be and it's going to be like some some slippage like within within the margins like that's just that's just going to uh that's just going to be a thing but i don't think that's big enough you know like not not to do it especially for the almost like having that in place will almost kill the uh, black gun uh new guns coming into like the black gun market you know mm-hmm. almost overnight well i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me you know i do think you're right about a lot of liberals not having a lot of knowledge about gun culture and i appreciate your perspective a great deal i frankly kind of want to have you come on a show and just talk to me about everything liberals need to know about guns and do like a do like a youtube show about it you know let me know all the time what's what's your best tell me a little bit because if i can if i can frame you as like a gun club expert or something like that then maybe we can make this happen because i this has been very informative the leader I'm the leader of the second biggest like gun club, uh, black gun club here in Louisville. Where we've got like 300 members, like on like on our online uh, group and everything. Um, it's called the Black Gun Coalition. Like, uh, got a bunch of like gun trainers. Um, in our group, I'm a member of car carry member of NAGA. That's a that's basically like the Black NRA. Mm-hmm. Um, for like two, uh, for yeah, for like three years now. Yeah, I've been a car carry member for them for like three years now. I like to help out people learn more about guns, be more comfortable about guns and you know, like understand you no know, gun culture and stuff. That I, yeah, you should come on, you should do some RBN. You should be, you should be talking to some folks, Jim. Let's connect Send me, let, let me your contact information or something in the DMs and let's connect. 
Gotcha. All right. Thanks for calling in. David, thanks. you are up next. What's on your mind? Hey, Bree, can you hear me okay? I can, loud and clear. <clears throat> uh, so I, uh, again, huge fan of what you do. Um, I, I listened to the last uh, couple episodes, and um, when, you, when you were interviewing uh, Amy, what was the last name Valera? Valela. Mm-hmm. Valela? Valela, yeah. Um, towards the end, when, uh, when she said, uh, we're all in this together, and then when she said, uh, you know, on the left, we're all fighting for the same thing. I noticed your eyebrows went up and you looked to the side and I could see on your face basically the same the same reaction I was having. And, uh, the benefits of watching rather than listening to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it was great. And uh, so <clears throat> I've been, uh, you know, we, we were in New York. I... Uh, moved out to California, uh, for my wife's job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I've been, uh, uh, cl- close distance to my parents, uh, which, uh, I wasn't for a while mm-hmm. and, um, they're driving me nuts. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so what's crazy about it is, um, you know, I got all my values, uh, especially from my mom. And, um, but she's a hardcore Clintonista. Mm. Uh, my dad, um, you know, we grew up in Potomac, Maryland. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, my dad is a lawyer, uh, used to be a lawyer for one government contractor. Now, uh, he's at a different government contractor and, you know, for me, uh, I was in high school when nine 11 happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, I saw sort of the reaction in media and, and across the country and, you know, it's like, fool me once, shame on me. Right. Mm-hmm. But what I what I just can't understand, and um, and even my wife's parents, who who uh, whose politics are a little bit better, mm-hmm. um, even they get got sucked into Ukraine, mm. and like I've just been racking my brain trying to understand, like like. How do they fall for it every time? You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, what, have, you, have you had the conversation with them? Like, what do you say to them when you broach the subject? So i i I had, um, i've I've tried every I've tried every angle. I tried to get my dad to listen to. Useful idiots did an interview with. Colin Powell's chief of, like, former chief of staff, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And I just wanted my dad to listen to that interview because I thought it was really good. It had a lot of historical context. He 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 uh, thinks of himself as somewhat of a history buff. 
mm-hmm. you know, I thought the authority figure of, you know, the former chief of staff of Colin Powell mm-hmm. would mean something to I him. like your strategy. I like your effort. Okay. Yeah. So one sentence into the interview, Cole, he's, he says the word neo-Nazi. And mm-hmm. the, my dad says, we're done. I can't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, but the Azov Battalion are neo-Nazis. They have the badge on their uniform. And what does your dad the say? SS badge. What does he say? Not all Azov Battalion? He, he, like, then we had an hour-long conversation of, and I, I guess we ended on it would be like if, you know, a battalion of the U.S. Army like wore the KKK hoods, mm-hmm. I, I guess, mm-hmm. right? But I couldn't get him to listen to the interview, so. Yeah, this, this is, okay, so this is so interesting. And I'm not saying I'm right about this, but like my understanding that people have these kinds of triggers that prevent you from getting past, you know, getting into the substance of an argument is part of why I'm experimenting with this like this like Tucker radar kind of a thing, right? Like I know everyone wants you to come out and be like, okay, up top, let's all agree about white supremacy. But given that people like Charlie Kirk are out here telling people that you know systemic racism doesn't exist, you know you gotta sometimes meet people where they are. And so I'm not saying that you know you you. It sounds like you were already coming a lot a long way to the middle and to the right. middle ground. I thought I was, but having these conversations it teaches you about what the triggers are and so okay, I don't know if I, did I tell you the story about the racist guy in the park I ran into the other day and had a he was like Obama's a Muslim no okay think. so I was in the park like two weeks ago trying to ride a radar trying to incentivize myself by riding it in the sunshine and this old man comes up and sits next to me and is like can you can I sit on this at this t- table with you I said yeah of mm-hmm. course he he sees that I'm carrying a tote bag that says Harvard on it he starts asking me about it all of these kinds of things uh, and so we're in conversation. He says, you must be very smart. You're a lawyer. I said, well, no, I'm in politics now. And he uh, said, oh, politics. You know, he, out of the blue, he's like, you know, Barack Obama, I didn't like him very much. And I'm all ready to agree with him. Like, yeah, girl, let me yeah, tell right. you. Yep. Da, da, da. But no, he takes it to, he's a Muslim. And this is a Christian nation. And I just didn't right. trust him. And I was like, oh, Lord. <laughs> like, this started out as like a cute thing with this little old man in the park. And now here we are. I said, okay. Um, I, I was making a calculation in my head. I was like, am I going to argue, generally speaking, that it's, uh, of course, bigoted to think that we shouldn't have a Muslim president? Am I going to argue that Barack Obama was not, in fact, a Muslim? And that's, you know, just not factually true. Which am I, am I going to try to sidestep the whole thing and just have a constitutional argument about how how we have separation of church and state and not try to <laughs> discourage this man from being is, Islamophobic? You know, is that even going to work in the seven minutes I had to devote to this before I have to go and finish my radar? Mm-hmm. So my approach, I said to him, well, because we had a little rapport, right? We've been talking for a few minutes, so I had built a little bit of rapport. Sure. I said, okay. Well, look. I don't think it's true that Barack Obama is a Muslim, but regardless, I don't think that that's really relevant because look, we live, one of the things our founding fathers cared so much about was separation between church and state, right? Because they didn't want anybody. Hello? Can you hear me? Bree? Oh, I lost you there. Say that again. 
through all this way for what? Bree, can you still hear me? Brianna? You're like cutting in and out. <sighs> can you hear me? Testing. I'll I'll uh I'll still be here. <clears throat> hey Bree, I heard a click. Nope. I hear uh, I hear keystrokes. And it's. Oh, I heard a word there. Unfortunately, the day is not today. Okay, I'm just opening up the call-in thing on the computer to see what's going on in the chat. Okay, I hear you now. Okay, this is annoying. David, just leave. I'm going to kick you off, but come back, and I'm going to meet back up next in the queue. I bring up Lucas. Lucas? Unmute yourself and let me know what's on your mind. Uh, hey, Bree, it's, it's, um, it's a lot going on. Oh, so it's... I know what's happening. Wait a minute. Hold on, Lucas. Hey, Lucas, keep talking. No that was my fault. I think that my computer, my computer, my phone linked randomly to my headset across the room and I couldn't hear David. Could, could you guys hear David? Yeah, we could hear David. I'm so sorry. It was my fault. David, get back in the queue. I, Lucas, because you were louder or deeper or something, I could hear your voice coming through my headphones on the other side of the room and I realized what had happened. My bad. Oh, Did you want to know. bring him back up? I didn't yeah, want to. I'll bring him. Go ahead. I don't want to kick you off, though. Go ahead and, and say what you're going to say, and I'll bring him up right after. Uh, sure. Yeah. So it's just, it's been a lot. It's been a lot going on, obviously. So just a lot on my mind. Um, I've been watching a lot of your, a lot of your podcasts lately, and one that was really interesting to me. Well, the one with the Greek uh, economist I thought was really cool. I like how you guys are talking about Star Trek and the Matrix because. Love I him. like to think a lot of what's going on. What's that guy's name? Giannis Varoufakis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been, I just started his book uh, a couple yeah. of days ago. Mm -hmm. That's been really interesting. Another now. Um, but anyway, one of the other ones I thought was really good was with Irami Frimpong. Irami Ose Frimpong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that guy. And I'm not sure, um, <laughs> like, I'm not sure what to make of him, really. I was telling my girlfriend um about his proposition about like invading white spaces politically um not or not just politically but also socially and getting them to change you know the church school um i forgot what else he mentioned but i thought it's mm -hmm. pretty it's pretty valid as far as like white people actually having to change 
instead of just like the policies themselves having to change and getting the right people in office, you know, like, and I, I guess I can see the argument of like, actually, once their material lives have improved that all of that kind of hatred seeps away. But, you know, just a culture of, like he said, buying a 16 year old kid a gun for his birthday, like that has to change. If, and he, he talks about making black people whole, but I mean, making everyone better and safer in this country, like that does have white people do have to change, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, and listening to you guys talk, uh, you were kind of like, you know, throwing all that down. But like, how do you, you know, how do you actually feel about that, though? Yeah, I mean, I, I resist the characterization in racial terms, just because of how easily that can be exploited and used to demonize one group as the problem versus another. And that has, you know, happened disproportionately when talking about the cult- cultural failures of blackness. Most often, I don't want to open the door to people who say, oh, we're not going to do X, Y, and Z public policy because black people just need to change and everything. All of the disparities are because of their own cultural de- deficits. I don't think that's true of white people either. J.D. Vance basically is that for white people talking about how everybody where he comes from is just raggedy and shitty and it's all their fault. I, I, I agree with much of what is being said about the culture critiques. And I said this to Glenn Lowry too. I'm not going to sit here and pretend. I said this in the Charlie Kirk debate. It is obviously true that, that kids benefit from two parents in the home. Not for some weird Christian-y, like traditional values place, but it takes two people to earn an income that can support a household these days. It takes two people to have one person who could at least be around for the kid when they come home from school and keep them out of trouble and help them with their homework and all of those kinds of things. You know, people value from having more adults around to support them. That's obviously true. It's not about marriage and traditionalness and all that. But, you know, I don't know how to make that happen. It's much more difficult to do, you know, affect those kind of, uh, you know, intimate personal outcomes as a policy maker than it is to provide people with basic material conditions. So like, I, I, what, what can I do? I can't say go get married and wag my finger, which is what so many conservative pundits on both sides of the aisle say. What I can do is make incentives so that when people get married, they don't lose social benefits. I can make it so that you, you know, you get, don't have to take on your partner's student debt in a way that discourages people in my generation from getting married. You can mm-hmm. make it so that, you know, people are earning, have childcare support so that a, a parent can choose to stay home without having to work like a demon just to, you know, pay for someone to look someone else to look after their kids. You can make it so that people's commutes are shorter so they have more time to spend at home with their kids and their families. And so that's what I would prefer to focus on because I don't, you know, I don't want to get us to a place where we're basically using these kind of cultural deficits as an excuse not to legislate. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And also just being able to turn it on its head and hear something that, you know, you don't want to hear about black people or any other community you might belong to, regardless of how true those things might be. It's not quite the ministry of, you know, anybody making policy, anybody in government to be involved in that and that sort of stuff. So. Right. And it's it's a lot of, if you're like a libertarian and conservative, it's also weird for me, not that irony is, but it's weird for me to, you know, like you don't, you don't want schools teaching about the existence of gay people, but you want them propagandizing what about marriage and family. And also you want people to stay out of your personal life, but you want the government to be in the business of making sure people are married and like fucking on a regular basis to make new little Americans. Like, I just don't understand. I don't understand what the line is supposed to be. Yeah. 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 
And um, well, another conservative guy you had on, Glenn Lowry. I, I was trying to like check out a couple of his videos just to see basically if he was a coon or not. And um, it, doesn't seem, that doesn't seem, <laughs> it doesn't seem to be the case. Okay, it doesn't seem to be the case. He does seem to be making like good faith arguments about it, but. Um, just that sort of, as you put it, like Bill Cosbying your way to whatever you want to see change is, 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 I don't know, it's tired at this point. And it's kind of interesting to see somebody still talking like that in uh, 2020 when it's just, or 2022 when that's just so clearly not, clearly not going to get it done. Um, yeah, it's like, show me it works and I'm not opposed to it. Do you know what I mean? That, that, that's what I've been yeah. working through with Robbie on Rising a little bit too, because part of the thing I find frustrating about libertarians is the idea, and, and all conservatives really, is the idea of having an ideological commitment to a structural, um, uh, like response. So, like I, I am, you know, liberals are are characterized as wanting big government, but I've never heard a liberal be like, "I just we need the government to be bigger." Like, no, it's the idea that you need to help people and you need government programs to exist to do so. It's like a by by byproduct of feeling like you need to meet a a need in our world, a deficit in our world. But to be committed ideologically to smaller government, it's basically admitting that, like, you don't care what happens, you don't care what the consequences are, the government just needs to be smaller. And so sometimes, it, you, it, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day, but it's not a real idea. It's not like, it's not based on humanism, it's not based on results, it's not based on anything except for a weird, like, fetish for small government and a belief that a laissez-faire world inures to the benefit of more people when it's not, it's just feudalism. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, that, and that's yeah. another thing. Oh, the I oh I can't forget. I can't remember his name now. Giannis. Yeah, that's his mm -hmm. name. Giannis. He was, he was talking about that as far as being, you know, that's kind of where we're at. It's just a return to feudalism. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't really get the the conservative pull yourself up by the by the bootstraps, especially when you can look at your own life and you are just not the product of all your personal ingenuity, like everybody who's done something in their life, even if they haven't done something in their life, they're standing on the shoulders of people that have gone before them and this collective human knowledge. And just to think that that doesn't apply to government um, doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. Um, but just as far as like your uh, like debate with <laughs> debate with Charlie Kirk, I actually didn't watch that video. I watched another guy kind of just like dunking on Charlie Kirk about it, but with clips interspersed, of course. Yeah. Um, I saw that guy. Yeah, I've never heard of that guy before, but it, it yeah, popped same. up in my feed. Yeah, same, same. Um, well, I mean, it was kind of funny, but um, yeah. Like, <laughs> how how do you? And I, I heard you talk about earlier, just like having that debate and how that could have potentially changed people's minds that are kind of like watching, you know, his videos. But um, I don't know. How does this actually? How does this actually change if if that is who the these people are trotting out there as being like this logical face of conservatism, you know, like the Emmys <sighs> and Stephen Crowder, Shapiro, they're, 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 they're farcical really, you know, and how do you, how do you combat that? Well, let me, let me, let me tell you, because let's see if I can pull up this um, message that I got. Uh, well, I have had more than one. Now, I'm not saying that the majority of people, if you obviously look in the comment section of the debate video, I mean, I glanced at it and decided not to watch it. It's obviously yeah, the, the people who watch Charlie Kirk's video are going to agree with Charlie Kirk. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. And even on Rising, like Ryan and Ryan Grimm is always like, don't look at the comments because the people, liberals, leftists don't tend to comment as much. 
And if you look at the, you know, I see meet people all the time in my everyday life who are so grateful that I'm on rising and you never see that reflected in the comment section. So don't worry about it. So grain of salt, but I have had so many people like DM me about the debate who are like, Hey, I've never heard a liberal, um, make this kind of a pitch before and that have it make sense. So here's, here's one that I got. Um, someone DM me on this on, on Instagram. I just listened to your debate with Charlie Kirk, full transparency. I'm a conservative and listen to Charlie often. However, I thought you made some good points and it was even refreshing to see that you both agreed on some points. To be honest, I thought Charlie took a few unnecessary jabs too. And I didn't like that. Anyway, your conversation with Charlie has spawned some thought. I likely won't become a liberal, but LOL liberal, but I have a lot of respect for you. Good job on that debate. And I appreciate when the other side comes on a conservative podcast to discuss these issues. Now, is that changing the world? Did I end Trumpism? No, <laughs> but I get enough feedback like that. I'm telling you, every time I do an, a conversation with a conservative, the feedback is, is like, there's like a spike in interest in positive feedback. Mm-hmm. And it just feels, I got to say, and this is like just maybe selfish from my end, so much more, va- not more validating, but validating in a different way. It feels like I'm making progress as opposed to just, you know, Talking amplifying the things, right, that yeah, we already yeah. know and agree on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would definitely like to see just more debates from, because, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, obviously, like we all agree on these things, but it's also just the correct position. Obviously, we're going to feel that way, but <laughs> it's just a lot easier to argue. You know, in, in my opinion. So once you are talking, I've seen uh, Kyle Klinsky also debate Charlie Kirk, and he, mm-hmm. um, you know, just shit on him really because <laughs> it's easy to do. Um, you know, and it's just unfortunate that a lot of these conservatives and just how these algorithms work, they'll just see what I guess the majority of what they'll see of liberals is like Ben Shapiro dunking on college kids the whole time. You know, mm-hmm. um, so you know, I don't know. It's also the, all, all the algorithm stuff that's frustrating, but. Um, yeah, I was I was glad to come across. Uh, I guess Kyle Klinsky, I'd say, is probably you know where the genesis of my thought around that sort of stuff came from. Uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's led me to seeing you know people like you and Crystal Ball, and uh, just been really helpful. So um, I'll I'll let the next caller go. Uh, just wanted to chime in and, and uh, say I appreciate you. It's been it's been good watching your videos lately. Thank you, Lucas. I appreciate you calling in. All right, David. I'm so sorry. That was completely on me, not on you. I cut you off. We were talking about my racist story. No, sorry. No, um, that's okay. So you're story. on the you're on the bench. Uh, you got seven minutes with this old gentleman. Yes, and I think it was productive. Although some might argue that I you have, I should have made the fullest throatest defense of Islam, and not kind of some people would say you you pivoted to a constitutional argument in a way that allows him to continue through the rest of his life with his feelings about Muslims. Yeah, but guess what? You're not you're not going to change like you're not you're not necessarily going to make an impact on that other thing. That's kind of how I felt. Right. <laughs> so, what the irony about my parents, right? Mm-hmm. I have more success. So, I I talked to you last time uh how I worked at a nuclear power plant in New York and uh you know, they replaced it with two natural gas plants and all that. Hmm. Lots of New York State corruption and all that stuff. But um, I uh, so we had a, a union shop, union techs, and half of them were Fox News watching, you know, gun toting re- Republicans. Uh, one of my favorites was a guy um, 
you know, a, a black Republican uh, uh, who with, brought in the Trump hat and everything and, um, um, you know, owns a gun. Or may, maybe he didn't. I don't remember. But anyway, um, the point is, I had more success talking to those guys than I do to my parents. Mm. Uh, and because, <clears throat> you know, um, you know, they, they got a firsthand lesson on government corruption, right? Uh, yeah, that has been my experience. And liberals you know, are the hardest. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's amazing to me, you know, um, and um, just so I, I had one, I had one sort of comms victory with my parents mm-hmm. and only one. <laughs> and um, yeah, it, it was with my dad, um, you know, cause he's a big believer in, um, you know, you go work in corporate America and you work hard and, you know, like they, they recognize you and you, you know, get promoted and make good money and all that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I'm an engineer, right? So mm-hmm. I, uh, an electrical engineer and, um, I, I mostly wanted to work in the energy sector. Right. And I would literally work on equipment that was the result of historic investments in the future of the country, right? So you're talking about in the 1900s, the electric electrification of the East Coast, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the the accomplishments of the Tennessee Valley Authority, Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, like I didn't work, you know, I'm in New York, so that's in a different part of the country. The idea. Right. Um, and w- what I've been trying to describe to my parents is this rot that I've been witnessing in like the especially the energy sector where there I just feel like the innovation is just not there. It's just, you know, um, the, the progress just doesn't get made. And a lot of the technology is like there and available and, you know, and we understand the benefits and, the choice to invest in it just doesn't happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm, and, you know, my, my parents just like, you know, think I'm complaining and, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, I could tend to complain a lot, but, <laughs> you know, this, uh, in terms of our investment in in infrastructure, you know, uh, what we get 
I think it's uh, D, somewhere between a D and an F consistently from the, you know, Society of Civil Engineers on our infrastructure. Uh, you know, I, I, when, when you compare the kind of stuff, the kind of investments we make to other parts of the world, it, it's it's no contest. It's, you know. Um, so now I'm, uh, I've been trying to do a, a startup project. I got a U.S. patent and, um, <clears throat> um, you know, I applied to a place called Y Combinator, which is like one of the most competitive uh, uh, incubators in the country. And uh, we got through the, the interview um, and it was a 10 minute interview and, um, you know, I got a email saying, we're worried, you know, we, we think, uh, like, we think you have a really good concept for a company and, you know, we, we like that you guys are very technical and, um, but we're worried that we're not going to make a, an a hundred million dollar run from just robotics, right. For, for our product. And I'm just sitting there thinking, and, a, and by a hundred million dollar run, they made a hundred million dollars in revenue. And I'm just thinking, there are companies that have been around five, ten years that haven't made a hundred million dollars in revenue. You know, like is that is that the only metric for which I I, I understand? Mm. You know, if you're if you're an investor, yeah. I, I guess that could be your only metric, right? But you know, it, so our our project is is a is a new kind of motor, right? It's just mm-hmm. a little bit better than you know a standard motor, right? And um, you know, if if a hundred million dollars in revenue is the only metric we're going to use, right? Yeah, so you're basically saying that because of the profit motive, there aren't the same incentives to have these long-term investments that we used to have in the past, well, and I think that that's right. And I think that's part of the pushback I'm often giving to folks like Robbie, you know, all due respect, who want to defer only to the profit motive to have advancements. And that's kind of like the whole point of government is that the profit motive does not provide the right incentives for an actual community, a society. And while it can work in discrete areas, and there are even some probably areas where it can innovate better and faster in some discrete areas when you're talking about building a society having broadband go to every home having roads go to every home having water go to every home it's not always profitable to do so because every home isn't a profit center and so i completely hear what you're saying i gotta i'm gonna move on a little bit david because we're coming at the end of the hour and there's a long queue but i appreciate you calling in all right uh andre uh what's up hey brie how are you I'm doing well. What's on your mind this evening? Um, well, actually, I, w- I want to make it a little bit nerdy because I was actually thinking about the caller. I think her name was Allie, maybe. I don't know. But uh, mm-hmm. you have been talking about the Star Trek stuff, and mm-hmm. it kind of ties in everything. And, uh, like, I-, I don't know how-, how much you are into, like, Star Wars also, but it- Boo, it's kind of hiss. Well, I just think um, it's kind of just a really good reflection as you age and mature, and I was thinking about this last night, I was watching, like, the new Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, show this on Disney+, Plus, and I was like, I used to really be into being, like, the idea of being a Jedi. I thought it was, like, the coolest thing in the world, 
until mm. I just realized like being a Shrekie is way cooler. Like it, it's like what society do you want to <laughs> live in? Do you want to live in a society where you have to run around with a laser sword fighting people for every little thing, or do you want to live in a society where everything is taken care of for everybody else? You may not be the coolest, you may not be able to do things with your mind, but your needs are met every day like you have okay everything i'm sure done. there's some alien on star trek that can move things with their mind that we just haven't explored that yet but it's a big galaxy <laughs> <laughs> but they're definitely not as cool as a skywalker i'm sorry but uh, or a yoda but yeah, look I, I say this all the time but i think that it's basically like like no shade but to be a star wars fan you only have to watch a handful of movies the canon's not that big and most importantly it's like just guns and lasers and bang bang in space it's it's human society in space and all, including all of its negative aspects star trek is a philosophical show and it shows that it stretches your yeah. imaginations and stretch, stretches your capacity to understand humanity and frankly i think you know captain picard and his little open v-neck robes and silk silk little outfits and his bedtime regalia it was pretty cool <laughs> i mean I, like I said, like, well, that's another thing too. Like Star Wars has like no black people in it. I mean, I know they try, they kind of dangled um, was it Samuel L. Jackson to us for a little bit, they but it's just like, oh wow, they're oh yeah, you couldn't even tell. Like they bragged about it, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see her. It's like, oh, that's not you don't even get to see her. You don't even get to recognize it as her, <laughs> right? So right, yeah, it's it's just like I don't know, just. I wanted to make it a little bit more light because, like, everything is <laughs> so heavy. You're and I'm like, talking I, about uh, guns and and murdered children. That's not your bag anymore, Andre. It's, yeah, it's it's more of a. I think that we need to hit a, a better inflection point. Unfortunately, and again, this is just a sad thing that I'm just noticing. As long as there's a profit motive for everything, nothing can change. Like, like we're going through. Uh, you know, an economic uh, an economic slowdown like globally, but there are some people who are salivating. Like I work in that in that sector, and it's just like when I talk to certain clients, like yeah, uh, what seven dollar uh, a gallon gas? Like that's great for them. The rest of y'all gotta suffer. So yeah, as long as me and my little crew are good, fuck you guys. Yeah, and people say that all but explicitly. And I wish I wish I had like the kind of production team that can put together the supercuts the way that Tucker Carlson has, you know, where he you can really make a strong case. If you can turn on the TV and see person after person after person making saying that like those kind of things don't matter. Um, you know, Stephanie Rule and all of these folks being completely out of touch. And then do like a side by side comparison with their salaries. So you think the research team and a yeah. video team it's, and it becomes so obvious. And then you can also compare the fact that people on both channels are saying the same kind of thing. And really start to make a very strong case. So go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, doesn't it disappoint you in a way, though, that it takes that much convincing of people? Like, that's where I, like, I get into my little, you know, my little hole of despair. It's like, you really need people to spell it out for you that clearly that that people who are making millions of dollars in their contracts are fucking lying to you. Like they have no incentive to tell you the truth. Why do you believe well, them? We're propagandized so heavily that the people on the TV screen are the good guys. That Rachel Maddow is the good guy that MSNBC and CNN and the liberal people on TV are the, the, you know, truth seekers on the behalf of good liberal society. And, you know, I used to think, you know, when I was in college or law school, 
He would be sitting at the dinner table and Keith Olbermann would be on and he was like reading Bush the Riot Act. And I was like, yeah, go Keith. Like, I really didn't <laughs> see the world any differently. And I right. at a certain time, given like, you know, when, when the opposing party is in power, the differences among your own group seem less obvious. And, you know, I, right. I genuinely just thought like when, when, when someone like Sold Out O'Brien is so an- antagonistic to me on the internet, there's something a part of me dissociates because I was someone who was watching her and excitedly waiting for her Black in America series back in like 2008. Yep. Like she was a hero of sorts. I wanted to grow up and be yep. like Sold Out O'Brien. Right. And it's just crazy to me. Like she, the venom that she um, targets toward me is like akin to what maybe even eclipses what she directs toward conservatives. There are people who are conser- warmongers like David Frum who would, she would sit down happily and have cocktails with well before me because it's not ideological anymore it's about keeping people in line and like vibes and for most americans like i don't even blame them for thinking that those people have good vibes well in your particular situation i think it's because you threaten their status quo their opposition kind of just keeps the game going and it kind of fosters and supports the way they already live anyway so it's like they can have these uh you know uh cordial type of uh interactions with them because fundamentally uh, you know, nothing really changes. What you are advocating for and what, you know, other progressive people are advocating for is a complete uh, restructuring of how they know the world. And they're terrified of that. Like, what world do they live in where they don't get to be on top and kind of like scold the rest of us and try to dictate uh, the reality that we know is kind of horseshit? Because this, all this, uh, it's, it's and, this, and, I, and I know <laughs> it's funny because like a lot of my friends, we all listen to this. And I know that when I talk, uh, talk about this, I sound like such a hypocrite because like, I'm in finance. So it's like, you know, I benefit too, but I, re- I can benefit and recognize that I benefit and that this is all horseshit. These people yeah. benefit and just want to, for whatever reason, like lie. And I don't know how they sleep. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, sometimes I think it's even worse than that. Sometimes I think that people, with people like Soledad, it's that it's less that she's like, oh, Brianna is advocating for, you know, her worldview would mean that I could no longer be on top. I think it's almost less sophisticated. It's more like Brianna is critical of my worldview and the worldview of people that I like and respect. Therefore, she must be the enemy. Do you know what I mean? It's it's not even yeah, like, yeah, she's not even really yeah. connecting the dots of, and listening to even what I'm saying. It's all team sport politics where it's like, there's Republicans and Democrats. Brianna is criticizing Biden. Therefore, she must be bad. It's the same thing that leads Biden to say, you must not be black if you don't vote for me. It's, it's thinking in these kind of binaries. And it's like, I'm making fun of her friends. So she's pissed. I don't even but they're not that. even her friends. I'm Let her say her. one it's, thing they don't like. Well, right, but it's, it's, her, it's her whole media cohort. It's like she sees me, it's, it was Nicole Hannah-Jones too. Again, she was someone I liked and followed because I appreciated her education reporting. And then I remember when I was early on the internet, you know, I had like 20 followers and I would engage her and she was so dismissive, like not engaging to dunk. You guys know me. I'm not like, I wasn't getting on the internet being like, yay, F you, Nicole Hannah-Jones. I was like, oh, here's someone I like and respect who's saying something that I doesn't, I don't agree with. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting to me because I see it this way. Do you think that maybe it's this way? You know, and it would be like, how dare you speak to me like that? I'm a journalist. You're a nobody. Da, 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 da. <laughs> like literally she said something to me like that once. Like you don't have the authority as a non-journalist to talk to me like this. And so I was like, okay. And then I went and became a journalist. <laughs> yeah. 
And like, what? Like, it's hard? No, JK, JK, JK. Yeah. Just quote, <laughs> legally blonde. But I know, I get you know, it. And, and then she's just, she's just like that. So it's, it, to me, it's like these people, just, they, they, they really buy their own hype and their own sense of authority. And they're not here to think. And I think I, I'm going to say something a little controversial. Some of these conservative commentators, I don't agree with them substantively. And some of it is performative, but they, they engage, right? Mm. You know, Charlie Kirk, maybe he's doing it because he wants to dunk on me or whatever, but he invited me down. They flew me out to Arizona and they had a debate. I can't get Nicole Hannah-Jones to speak to me offline to save my life. I invited her once to um, talk to me for an article I was writing on The Intercept. I was like, let's squash the beef. I want to be friends. Like, I don't, like, I don't think we actually are that far apart in our agreement, disagreements. Let's just have a conversation. I think that we could resolve a lot of this. And she wrote me back basically telling me I was an unethical person, that I was one of the worst people on the internet and like never to talk to her. Are you shitting me? Like you're yeah. unethical? Like who does yeah, she, she talk to? That's it, bad? it was one of the meanest emails I've ever received in my life. I gotta be honest. And I was like, wow. And I was still feeling very young. I mean, I wasn't, I was, you know, like 32 or whatever, but I was still feeling very new and young and raw. And like, like I was looking up to her and I was like, okay, fine. If this is what we're doing. But the, the point is like, they, they, they are not interested in engaging. And I think a part of people's appetite for some of these right-wing characters is that at very least they're, they have enough confidence in their ideas to engage. But these Soledads and all of yeah, them, like true. their whole power is in the structural authority they have being a part of the mainstream media system well don't you also think for them like and i think the difference in uh the people that they kind of pander to like at least for conservatives those people like to see a fight they enjoy that so for them to have someone on like you it kind of feeds that but for like you know the the left or not even the left sorry the 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 centrists um their audience don't like a fight. They want to just be a kind of like appeased and massaged and told like everything that their worldview is correct. They don't want challenges on that. And if there are challenges on it, they want people that they consider foaming at the mouth, like, you know, stupid people talking about it. Like they can kind of delude themselves into believing, oh, Tucker Carlson is like, you know, a weirdo and like, you know, but he's of the same ilk as, uh, you know, uh, Rachel Maddow. Like they went to the same schools, they hang out in the same circles, but for some reason people can't separate that. Well, well, Rachel Maddow, you know, for all her deficits is a Rhodes scholar. And I don't believe Charlie Kirk. I mean, this in no way disparaging. Yeah. I don't mean that in any disparaging way, but yeah, I mean, he, because he also seems uninformed. <laughs> right. <laughs> <It's irrelevant>. right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can be a Rhodes Scholar and uninformed like Rachel Maddow, or you can be a, a non-college graduate and be uninformed like Tucker Carlson. That speaks volumes yeah. about our education system and what our values are in these these places. But um, yeah, look, I, I think that it, obviously, some of, like I said, some of it's performative, some of it's about dunking, some of it is not in good faith. But even if it's yeah. in bad faith, the perception is that there's one side that is kind of got a confidence in its own intellectual um, ideas and enough to debate them. And mm-hmm. one side that uses the fact that it doesn't have to debate anybody it can control the discourse from a high and mighty CNN. You know, and, and mm-hmm. if you're just a person on the ground and you're looking at these two groups, like, and that's part of why everyone is kind of divested from legacy media. And we're all looking at these YouTube channels and stuff because no one, we don't trust each other. There's no sense of authority. And all we have is two people talking to each other and 
you know, vetting the issues and then we can decide as listeners. I think that's why people like rising. They don't know whether to believe Robbie. They don't know whether to believe me, but we're going to sit here and argue it back and forth and the facts will come out and people can make up their minds. I I hate that idea though. Honestly, like I think some people aren't qualified <laughs> to make up their minds. Like I'm sorry. Like look, I, I try not to be an elitist. I'm just sorry. I don't want to be an elitist, but it's just like some people are not. Whenever I hear any like we saw this with the pandemic, when people will be like, "Oh, do your own research." Like you failed high school biology. I know you. You don't know how to do research. Well, How are you telling me to do my? It's, it's legitimately difficult. Like I I bought the Robert F Kennedy book. I you know. Yeah. Here's a spoiler. Monday's episode is going to be with Jeffrey Sachs, who is on oh. COVID nineteen Lancet, you know, the Science Journal panel, and they're all mad at him over at Lancet because he wants them to investigate lab leak theory and have them do an investigation into the American labs that were working with the Chinese labs. And basically, the kind of establishment is pushing back against him, and they don't want to do it for reasons. And, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm researching for that. I was, I'm reached, I'm trying to understand some of this COVID stuff that Kim talks about a lot on the show. And I was a history of science major. Half my classes in college were science classes. I got, you know, well, I did very well in my SAT twos in science. I had, you I went I to Harvard, bio. we know, like, I, we I, I, know. I, but, but people don't know I'm a science, like I considered myself to be a science person, not a humanities yeah. person. And right. I even I was like, oh yeah, shoot, I forgot about this. Okay, let me remember what a codon is and like <laughs> get into the cell, like molecular biology stuff again because it's been you know like twenty years. But um, right. it is it's legitimately hard for anybody, no matter what your education level is. What I'm saying. But that's the point I'm making, though. Is like that's why I think some people are not qualified. Look, I love my parents more than anything. Like they're but they're Jamaican immigrants, and there's certain things like. When we talk about in terms of like American politics, I'm like, yeah, you guys just watch a lot of TV. Like, let me actually like at least give you some basic stuff. Cause just because like, like my mom fell in love with Barack Obama when he went to Jamaica and said Wagwan. Like after that, he was like, <laughs> like the greatest thing. I'm like, yeah, but drone strikes, mom. <laughs> it's like, there's, <laughs> yeah, that's, it didn't matter. <laughs> it just didn't. So that's why, like I say, like some people, unfortunately, they need, authority to tell them like and i'm not saying in every aspect but i know that's like controversial everyone wants to believe i know everything and i but there's just some things you don't know that's why experts exist yeah but that's the problem the experts told us so many lies in the context of COVID that no one believes them anymore we have this disinformation czar who turns out Mm -hmm. all the hunter biden stuff so nobody believes her and and that's that's the fundamental crisis that we're dealing with is that no one knows you know the professional expertise isn't enough. Buddha judge with all of his so-called credentials, you know, yeah. is driving the you know, department of transportation into the ground, pun intended. <laughs> and, you know, and that's, you know, so, so you, you, that's the thing. You cannot blame people. I mean, you can blame people, but that's part of why I want to be having these conversations and approaching this conservative, you know, this broader audience with compassion, because if I come in there finger wagging and scolding, I'm just another um, Yankovich. You know, right. you know, like I, you have to build rapport with people. I don't know how long I got into the old man story before I cut out. I didn't realize that I cut out. Um, yeah. But, you know, so much of our being able to have any kind of conversation was because we had rapport. Mm, it's true. And then having rapport means, yeah, sometimes you are giving, extending courtesy and benefit of the doubt and kindness to people who you might not think, quote unquote, deserve it. But as a humanist, I really have a problem with even that framing because, you know, it's not about, you know, they're human beings. 
I, I want to do a socialism and have us all be, come together as a community, but I'm going to say, like, I can't even have a civil conversation with someone because what? I, I, I They have an immigration stance that I think is hostile and doesn't take into account American interventionism. Well, maybe I should maybe I should have some rapport with them and then I can explain to them about American interventionism and we can come up with a humane approach together. But, like, but they don't has listen to start somewhere. No, but they listen but- to me. I'm, this is what I'm saying, Andre. I think they do listen. My experience with people is they do listen. But even like, all right, the gentleman that you had on before, like with uh, they, you guys were talking about gun reform and, and like, you know, the fundamental flaw in his argument was, uh, you know, if you take these guns away, people will be able to have another way. And you know what? There is truth to that. He's right. If someone's crazy enough to do it, but the one thing we all know about human beings, especially people in the United States of America, we are lazy as fuck. If you make it even one step harder to do it, I guarantee you, we know for a fact that there'll be less people likely to do it. It but won't Jam be this. But Jam wasn't arguing against those reforms. He said that, but then he was like, yes, but also I, I agree that you still should take the gut, make them less accessible and raise the age and all of those kinds of things, put thumbprints on him also. So, right. so, so that's a really good illustration, Andre, because there are times when people say things like that, right, that are there are, are phrases or ideas that we associate with a conservative way of thinking. And so we have right. a knee jerk response that says, oh, like this guy's my enemy. This guy doesn't really want to he's not operating in good faith. He doesn't want to actually take guns away. He's a gun zealot. Da, 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 da. But like curbing that impulse. And it's hard. I'm not saying I was triggered, too, but I was like, OK, let me just like listen to it. I was ready right, to go right. at one point, but then he was like, no, 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 I agree with that stuff. You know, you heard me maybe a little edge of my voice creeping in. But you got to just curb it because oftentimes mm-hmm. you're not, the, the the people's beliefs are so much more scattershot than they are on TV. People believe, mm-hmm. like, there's not like conservatives and Democrats. People believe clusters of things that are not all compatible and certainly aren't all predictable. And you got to, I'm sorry, you never know where someone is unless you go ahead and extend that benefit of the doubt. Because if you jump on somebody, like, it's just, there's no, there's no benefit on that. If they, if they are the worst case scenario of person, then it's going to go downhill anyway. And there's nothing you can do. But on the off chance that you're just hearing them wrong, or they're just a little misinformed, you know, you just, you got to, like, I just have had too much success capitalizing on that relationship of trust to want to take a different approach. You are like the greatest example that destiny is a real thing. Cause I don't have what you have in terms of that kind of, and this is why you do what you do. Cause I would never have looked at it like that. You're making a good point. Well, the people in my personal life don't feel that way. I'm a real pill IRL. Cause I waste all this energy. Out of the world. So <laughs> to shout out, throw out, throw, throw up some energy for my mother and everybody else who has to deal with me. And my, <laughs> 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 my grants. And my complete and total absence of patience with the people who love me most, LOL. <laughs> Whew, let me stop. This isn't therapy. Yeah. Okay, I said I was going to stop at um, 6, 18, uh, 6 o'clock, and it's a little bit after. Um, let me just oh. take maybe one or two more. But thank you, Andre. Thanks for calling in. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Ja, how you doing? What's on your mind? Hey, Bree. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Excellent. I saw you jogging in the rain. I was um, trying to jog back here. I got lost in the new neighborhood and it started raining, even though it was a mess. Oh, yeah. Good fun. Good fun. I wanted to talk to you today about mediums. And we had had a uh, conversation a while ago about which ones are useful for your cause and which ones are not. Mm-hmm. And 
we'll start with the Charlie Kirk debate, which had me at the end sort of questioning the value of that sort of style of debate in the first place. I, mm -hmm. I feel like the whole thing was maybe a wash. I, I left, I'm not going to say that I left confused, but I left confused about what anyone could possibly get out of it because there was just so much going on. Mm. And I have to say, Brie, he was very defensive to start. And yes. I, I didn't expect I, that at all. Well, it was wild, wasn't it? It's like, are you really going to sit there and be like, oh, the bird, the poop is on you and then cross your arms and sit back and be all smug and weird. And like, where was the curiosity? Where yes. was like, and yeah. Gordon Lowry was curious. Even even Andrew Sullivan, there was much more of an exchange. But he look. So I want to be really clear about the posture of this. When when Jaws says he sat there and crossed his arms and said the burden of proof is on you, that's like literally what happened. He invites me, says the topic is does white supremacy exist? You guys know me. If anything, I'm criticized for not talking about race enough. I don't go around trying to evangelize about white supremacy in this world. Oh, He's like, well, you're God. the one who came here and wants to talk about white supremacy. I said, literally, I am not. Literally, let's turn this entire conversation right now into one about class politics and Marxism. Let's do it. He's like, no, he he wants to talk about white supremacy. And he thought that I would want to because I'm black, which is something that he should interrogate with his own therapist. However, he says it like that and he crosses his arms and then he he rejected every ex He's like, give me examples. I'm like, here's some examples. No, it's not. I'm like, OK, but yes, it is. <laughs> So, or, okay, or tell me more, or huh, right. let me think about that for a second. There was just nothing. And at one point, by the way, he, it was only like 10, 15 <laughs> minutes in, if I recall correctly, he acknowledges whatever example I, I gave of systemic racism was real. At which point in my head, I'm thinking, so this is over. What's the problem? What are we even arguing about? Right. And I, I haven't, I haven't had, again, like, I'm not psychologically prepared to go back and listen to it. I'm trying to get somebody to clip some clips for me without me having to watch it. But I remember that moment and thinking, okay, if I were, if this were like a deposition or if this were a trial and I had just gotten that testimony out, I wouldn't necessarily belabor the point, but I would, in closing, read from the record and be like, he literally just admitted it. He admitted it. <laughs> yeah. So what are we even talking about now? Uh, it was, it was really stressful. I, I kept seeing this oscillating uh, trust or lack, really lack thereof, you know, going between the two of you. It was so, it was so weird because he would clam up and close up. And, and and this is what's also really frustrating is people are going to misinterpret, or they're not going to interpret his defensiveness in the same way that they're going to interpret your behavior with your defensiveness, right? Correct. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. As if that super ultra... I don't know. It almost came off very authoritarian and very, I don't know, I'm, this is for lack of a better term, but very masculine, um, bullying sort mm -hmm. of tactic was, was any less destructive and toxic for the sake of trying to get down to the bottom of something that's more true than what the two of you may have come in with. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I do. Yeah. And I can't even point it out because then I'm doing, you know, an identity politics or something. So that's the trap that's been laid. <laughs> you know, the best I can do is sit there and be as feminine as possible <laughs> mm -hmm. and hope that, you know, people take, you know, 
sympathize with me because of, you know, which is obviously for black women, a coded and weighty, weighty thing as well, because we're not perceived to be as vulnerable in those kinds of circumstances as other kinds of people, but to sit there and seem as, you know, to, to just to take it. And that's why I was so upset with myself for responding early on, because I knew that the only defense I have in a situation like that is to be as cool as possible. So the contrasts are obvious. Not to, yeah. to react back and give some legitimacy to him having that kind of aggressive aggress, aggression toward me. But he, it was so rude. I, I mean, I don't, I don't blame you, Bree. It was just fucking rude. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, but, and that's the thing. I had watched him with um, Ben Burgess, and he wasn't like that. That's why I agreed to it. Mm-hmm. Like I watched the Ben Burgess debate, and it was polite, and they had an exchange of ideas, and it, I thought this is fine. I was really. You know, I know, again, the office, I can't get up and leave. You know how loose these things are. Once you're there, you got to do. But immediately I was like, this is not. And I said it like, this is not this. This is not why you said you were going to bring me here. This is not what I signed up for. Immediately. So like. So aggressive. Like, I wouldn't talk to anyone that way. Right. So, yeah. And why is there no self-reflection on his part of like, what did I really want out of this debate? Was I really, was I trying to, you know, thinking I was going to cream this girl and just, you know, like, what was I really, what did I really want? But, you know, that's too psychological and I don't know, dives too much into the realm of whatever else. Anyway, I I was also going to bring up uh, Robbie on Rising. Uh, and just the way that you end up being framed on Rising is increasingly bugging me. <laughs> um, you know, because you're always like uh, uh, put up against this person who doesn't really even believe that government should fundamentally exist in the first place. And like you said, you know, let's let the kids run down into the, the mines and, um, you know, blow yeah, some shit I, up. Or... I, I'm kind of like the bad guy for... Like that's that's perceived as me making a bad faith argument or an inappropriately maximalist argument. But I'm like, libertarianism is a maximalist political strategy. Like it's there's no in between. If you if that's yes. your ideology, just own it. Like if you think that I should be able to go to a poor neighborhood and buy someone's child because otherwise they're not going to be able to afford rent for their other children, and mm-hmm. then make that child my personal slave, right? You know why then not? Just say it like. You don't think there should be laws? Okay, that's what I'm about to do. I got toilets in me to scrubbing. I'm going to go buy your eight-year-old. How much? <laughs> yeah, you know why I mean? not, right? And why stop there? So, yeah. And there's never hands. enough time. <laughs> yeah. There's ne- right, and they can fit right into the neck of the toilet. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there is never enough time to, like, really explore and interrogate any of this stuff and really get down to those bare basics of, like, oh, no, no, Robbie, you're okay with, you know, tiny hands and toilet well, nets. You really are. I, I do appreciate the ability to be in an environment where we can f- continually flesh that kind of stuff out and not be, be preaching to the choir again. I, I'm very grateful to have all these different kinds of spaces. This space to talk to you guys, bad faith to just kind of like give my take and have guests that are actually informed, give their take, and then rising to try to put some of those politics into the uh, boxing ring and have and like you know talk to a bigger audience, a broader ideologically diverse audience, and I'm gr- I'm great I'm grateful <laughs> for the opportunity because it does force me to also learn to defend my beliefs better. Yes, but again, I think the overall framing of the show it puts you at some sort of I get it's like that finger trap analogy that you use. I'm like all I'm watching you and I'm like 
I get it. It makes sense. But the way that you, the way that you look on the show it almost creates some kind of bias that I can't quite describe that makes it really hard for people to understand what you're saying. If that makes any sense. It's, it's that they, I'm not really weighing in on what the topics are. So mm-hmm. I'm off. I'm always in a defensive posture. Like, right. I don't know, or I promise you, I don't know or care even a little bit about whatever the latest vaccine, whatever research is. That's not my issue. Right. All I know is whatever they come up with, I'm wearing a mask and I'm staying away from people because I'm not trying to get COVID. You do what you want to do. I don't give a shit. I personally am wearing a mask Mm -hmm. and staying away from everybody. I was staying far away from everybody. Now, I'm, you know, you watch some segment where it's like, oh, there's this new research says this and another. I don't know what the research says. You know, I'm not an Mm -hmm. expert. I don't know. You're not an expert. So it's like, if I ask a hypothetical question, like there was, so for example, there was a segment where um, there was apparently some research out of uh, from Walgreens, I think it was, that had mm. compared their uh, people who had gotten vaxxed once, vaxxed twice, or vaxxed twice and boosted, and then whether or not they had gotten a booster within five months or more than five months ago. Those are the categories. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. compared that to who had also tested positive for COVID in Walgreens, right? So people who had come to Walgreens for a test. And when you look at those numbers, the people who had been vaxxed and boosted twice had COVID at a higher rate than people who had only gotten vaxxed once or vaxxed twice, but not boosted. I look at this, I'm no expert, but you know, I know how to read a chart and I'm a history of science major. And I was like, okay, this is interesting, but this data doesn't exactly show us that people who got vaxxed and boosted more got COVID more. What it does show mm-hmm. us is that people who get vaccine boosted more when they think they have COVID come to Walgreens and get tested for it. And the same right. people who got one shot and didn't even have the you know, sense to come up, come back for their second shot, you didn't have the follow through to come back for their second shot, are probably not the same kind of hypervigilant people who are coming to Walgreens to get a COVID test. I have never in my life done a COVID test outside of my own home. And I'm a pretty mm-hmm. diligent person. So I think there's a, a bit of a selection bias thing happening here where people who are very careful and who are very hypervigilant are coming back to Walgreens again and again and again to get tested. And everybody else Clearly. Just, clearly, right? So it's not that yeah. I'm saying there could be a thing. It's like I've heard experts, actual experts say there can be a diminishing effect to getting boosted too many times if they don't come up with new boosters, you know, and that can make you more susceptible to COVID. I think there's some like interesting research out there about that. This particular study... It's far from conclusive, however. <laughs> and so if I point that out, then in the comments, I'm like, I'm a mandate aggressive queen and I don't right. want freedoms and all of that. And it's like, okay, I, I mean, okay, fine. And they still don't know that you're not a lib. Yeah, they, they think that I'm a Branding problem? It, what it, is it? I, I don't know. But part, part of it is that it's on me for not suggesting more topics and things like that. I um, mean, it's just also time. It just takes time for people to get to know you. And that is, it is what it is. And that's fine. This problem didn't seem to exist when Crystal and Sagar were there for whatever. Well, I, 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 well, they built that show. I mean, they built the show into something big. When they started, it was not a big show. And so the audience was made for them and the audience knew them from the start. That's true. I'm, I'm an interloper. <laughs> yeah. And I think that Sagar is very different from Robbie and 
there's some things that Crystal and Sagar fundamentally agree on that I think allow the show to have its heart, like breaking points anyway. Well, I think, I don't think that Robbie and I disagree more than Crystal and Sagar. What I think it is, is that I, I tend to seek out the points of disagreement. And I think that sometimes (laughs) Crystal and Sagar seek out the points of agreement. And one is not a better approach than the other. That's not a criticism at all. And when I was first on there, I had this impulse to be like, get along to get along. And so if someone said something I disagreed with, I would focus on the part that I did agree with. They'd be like, yeah, well, I'm not sure about all of that, but I do think you make a good point about X. And nowadays I'm like, screw that. Cause I feel like I was making, I was being an apologist for some stuff that I really don't like. And so now I'm, I'm just getting more confident about saying, okay, well, screw the stuff that we agree on. This part is important and we disagree. And that's that Sagar in on this libertarian kick, though. Like this heart, you know what I'm saying? No, this, Sagar this hates drugs. Lib- Sagar is very anti-drug. Sagar, like there are yeah. really, there are huge points of disagreement. But if we only exclusively talk about military interventionism being bad, cops being bad, Robbie and I can agree all day and night. The government being yeah. stupid, Biden being bad, like the being the first the government and, is stupid. Right. About and, the ways that policing is bad. Yeah. That's well, where he, it gets hairy. Well, he agree. I think we're completely locked up on police. He doesn't, well, he doesn't believe the police should exist because he's a libertarian. <laughs> so like, I, we don't have any problems there. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah. Uh, I, I my head, I'm, Brie. There, there are people who might think, I see, I've seen some comments where people are actually happy because they're like, I'm, I've been getting tired of everybody agreeing so much on everything. So there are going to be people who are mad, but whatever. I'm not paid based on how many clicks there are, so. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't care. If they want to get rid of me, then they can get rid of me. But, you know, as long as they want me there, I'm happy to do it. Well, you're doing a good job. I'm, that's all I had to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate you uh, commenting, John. We're at 633 Bells, I always enjoy hearing from you. Doctor, doctor, no work, Chris, Jonathan. Tosin, I think you're new. Lance, I love seeing your ladybug. You know, I, I see you guys. Oh, hey, Sylvester in the back. Like, you know, there's the part of my heart and soul that wants to be on here with you all night. But we got to keep it moving. I will see you on Monday after that episode with Jeffrey Sachs. It's going to be a banger. Like, subscribe, share. If you guys want to cut, you guys have not been doing the clipping. There hasn't been any clipping. If you want to clip parts of this episode in the transcript, I will push it to social media. If I see that you've clipped something and I see you in the caller queue, I promise to call you up first. How's that for incentive? I promise to call you up first. But again, I don't have any outro music for you today. Well, I can just play it from the distance, I guess, if that's not like incredibly weird. Um, uh, But I appreciate you. Keep the faith, all of those things. I'll see you Monday, hopefully with my equipment again so it's not so um, janky. Okay, bye-bye.